we technically never have to go back to a cow ever again. So depending on scale, theoretically we can make meat indefinitely. We have got the ability to take a vial, pop it with a, two people, go to another part of the world and then set up shop and get them all eating Saldana South African grown meat within a month. That ability has blown my mind. It's the biggest thing that keeps me going. It's knowing that this technology has that availability to do that. This is a world-beating package. Right. Because of how amazing it is, it's unfair how cool my job is sometimes. Like what I get to do and what I get to witness, there's just so many wonders that come from it. I'm so excited to introduce the 360 Degrees Human Podcast, a holistic loudspeaker that's normalizing what it means to live into your whole being. I'm Gina Levy, founder of 360 Degrees Human and your podcast host. Each episode is a holistic masterclass explored through natural conversations and storytelling that intend to uncondition and re-educate, inspire and empower. Here you'll meet my network of paradigm-shifting life champions, movement magicians, mind maestros, soul food farmers, well-being coaches, spiritual teachers, nature wanderers, and humanpreneurs who will make it easy for you to integrate holism into your daily life so you can live whole and happily ever now. That's why this isn't an interview. It's an education. An education in living whole in real time from exactly where you are. So what does your best day look like? And what if it was every day? Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of the 360 Degrees Human Podcast. This podcast might be in its infancy, but we've catapulted out of the starting blocks to great applause. So thanks for wholeheartedly supporting our launch episode with the inspirational Adam Levy. Your messages of praise and encouragement left me pretty speechless and extra excited to share more conversations with wholesome storytellers about big ideas shaping and influencing the holistic landscape. Which brings me to today. This is a modern day story of David and Goliath. You've just heard from our David, Brett Thompson, whose vision and mission is to end intensive animal agriculture in Africa, a continent where billions of animals get slaughtered every year. Except he's not doing this by creating meat alternatives like global phenomenons, Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger. He's reimagining our food systems and the way we make meat because he knows that people are simply not going to stop eating it. So why look for alternatives when we can have the real thing with more nutrients and a sustainable production process to boot? That's what I wanted to know from this budding entrepreneur who co-founded Mzanzi Meat Co. to pioneer cultivated meat in Africa. So whether you eat meat or not, this conversation is important because Brett's role is not just about making burger patties. This feel-good meat is giving him a platform to show us custodians of the earth that there is another way to preserve our beautiful planet and protect its sacred animal kingdoms. In fact, I believe it's an educational imperative. So welcome to a brand new meat ecosystem built on a harm-free philosophy right here in a meat-obsessed country that's going to propel Africa and beyond towards long-term food security. It's audacious, it's risky, but it keeps animals alive, and it's still meat. I have to say, it's nice to feel proudly South African again. I hope you do too. Here we go. 
Welcome, Brett, to the 360 Degrees Human podcast. I'm really happy to have you here. And I want to know, how does a self-confessed non-techie vegan, formerly known as the Bry Guy, decide to start a biotech food company that creates meat grown in a lab from the cells of real cows at no cost to the cow and then turn them into a delicious homegrown burger? So what I want to do is dig into your pre re in carnivore ration. Do you get mm-hmm. that? Re, yeah, I think I, I, <laughs> I see the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know, did you grow up in a home where... Yeah, I did grow up in a home. So it's not a, it's not <laughs> Here a we go. <laughs> I can just see the band is going to start now. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Did you grow up in a home where animal activism was fostered? Uh, like adopted? Okay, that'll be the last one. Um, no, so my... Um, my I'm pretty vanilla background, I mean, uh, for more ways than one. And my my parents, um, my mom had been veg- or is vegetarian of 40 years, but she never really made it a thing. Um, besides, you know, sometimes I had to like make do with a vegetarian meal, which used to make me very grumpy. Uh, but I guess from a point of view of uh, going to do uh, walk adopted dogs and um, do things with the SPCA. I think that was possibly as far as we went. Uh, but no, it wasn't. It was just probably a, a household that I think you could take ideas and run with them a bit and uh, they would be encouraged by my folks, my mom, my dad, my stepdad as well. So I think that's as possibly as far as it gets and kind of, allow, kind of just allow me and my sister to kind of do things that, you know, we, we were passionate about and support them. So I think that was the way, that was where it was kind of uh, fostered, if I can say. That's a, yeah, that's a really good answer. I understand where you're coming from over there. So what was the turning point for you then? Mm. If it was, it's, you know, obviously you got the, the support and love at home, but then you chose your own path. Yeah, the turning point, I think, goes back more to um, the time as being this carnival um, and, and somebody who also just likes new ideas and challenging themselves and challenging other people's at a bri over a beer, over a conversation. I think that was always something I loved doing. Um, and I think there's something about being at a bri which stimulates that debate and stimulates those conversations at two o'clock in the morning that nobody remembers. But uh, I think there's, that brings people together. And I think it's a way of South Africans um, for how we do engage with each other. Uh, I used to, I love meat. I think it's, it's delicious. Uh, it's so many attributes to it that we don't understand that makes it culturally relevant, makes it just culinary relevant. And uh, all these things led to me saying, I mean, I never thought I would stop eating meat. Um, I really, I really didn't. And then I was at the University of Cape Town. I had this conversation last night, again, about sort of my origin story. And you Do know, not repeat it. Can uh, you change it? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't online. It wasn't, thank goodness it wasn't online because it was at, you know, I'm a bit tired this morning because it was after squash and a couple of beers. So, um, uh, I'm small. And that was all this morning. Uh, no? <laughs> no, this was the last night. My body's still like cheap as creepers, man. It's, uh, it's, it's feeling it a lot more these days than it used to. Uh, squash, that is. And, um, anyway, so a couple of years into university, um, uh, the real, like part of that story is my father passed away and I kind of like really, he was a company man and I got, I kind of just was like, I was becoming a chartered accountant. That was what I wanted to do. I was at UCT and I was like, let me become a chartered accountant. Why? Why did you want to be a chartered accountant? I think I just wanted to make money. I, um, 
uh, probably should have stuck on that course because it is more money and <laughs> I think it's more stable money. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to make money. I wanted to do the hardest course I could in, at UCT, which was business science at the time and, and for, for, uh, for like non-medicine and non-engineering. And, um, yeah, and then that was like that, that kind of just said, I must do the chartered accountant route. And then, um, father passed away and then I, I didn't have like this, you know, uh, I wouldn't say like unraveling or call a life crisis, but I just started doing different things. And one of those different things was adding additional courses onto my very boring, you know, finance, accounting, uh, whatever, statistics uh, uh, course load. And one of them was the philosophy of art and literature. The other was um, applied ethics. And as um, I did psychology one and two, which is... Uh, yeah, that wasn't something that I was, I didn't, I didn't actually end up pursuing, but it was something that I was interested in. Mm. It's applied ethics to, to get to the point was, um, had a, uh, a very interesting guy, David Benatar, quite controversial figure, uh, UCT philosopher, um, well known across the world as well. And he speaks about in this applied ethics course of like very practical matters, you know, the, the ethics of smoking cigarettes in public. The ethics of humor, um, the ethics of sex, the ethics of forgiveness, very applicable to the human condition um, and practical, let's say. And um, one of them was eating animals, you know, the ethics of eating animals. And in a two or three week time frame in this lecture period, it resonated with me. And I just said, okay, I'm going to stop eating meat. And, And I didn't realize at the time that it would be this knock on effect that's taken me to Berlin and San Francisco and public speaking across the country and done all these crazy things and part of that being a starting and cultivated meat company which we will we'll get to but it it just was this decision and people used to argue with me all the time and I used to read out a lot of information about it and get I grappled with them a lot and then over five years of doing this during varsity um, I ended it off and uh, I was like well I've learned all this information so should I might as well write a thesis about it and that's what I did. It's like Steve Jobs taking the calligraphy course and that changing the entire trajectory of his life. I and obviously, yeah. yeah. Mm. So he, I think he was just at varsity and he was, so he, he took this calligraphy course, um, which wasn't prescribed in his general degree. And I think that that landed up being a major turning point in his life, which later on was incorporated into, I think, the font that was used for Apple. Mm. Uh, again, I stand to be corrected, but it was something along those lines. So the point is, is that you actually sidestepped your general degree and you decided to do something that was of genuine interest to you and that led you on a whole new path. So what what was your thesis about? Yeah, I mean, just quickly on, I, just, I think those sort of little nudges that you have in your early sort of formative years, it's crazy how they, that ripple effect goes into the tidal wave in, in 15 years, which it has for me. Um, I... Uh, was really bad at being a student. Um, I actually got kicked out of university technically and I had to reapply. Why? F- what happened? <laughs> yeah. Squash and beer. Squash and beer. Yeah, no, <laughs> that was, geez, that was, no, it was a combination uh, of things, but um, mainly I failed my two majors of finance and accounting. And I, I like telling the story just because, like, it goes with the entrepreneur sort of like uh, mindset. And it's like, if you haven't dropped out of university, then you haven't really become an entrepreneur. So, yeah. but I, yeah, I am, um, no, I just had, I'm at, well, part of it, I had a burnout. So I was just doing too many things as well. Like I get really obsessed with a lot of things. It's part of my personality, which is healthy 
on some parts, but it was also very unhealthy in the others. And I also was playing in a heavy metal band, which we really took ourselves too seriously. Um, well, I did it at the very least. Um, I was like, man, the band is going to make it. Uh, again, this is something I was thinking about recently. We had one of our first gigs in like, uh, OBS, and it was a place called Gandalfs. I don't know if you ever like, it's getting too local here, but like super dingy spot in observatory, which is dodgy in its own space. I loved it because I was driving against traffic to go to the gig. And I was just like, yeah, I, you know, this is how I want to be. I want to be the guy going against traffic. <laughs> and it was you know, it was just like this nice aspect because even though you're going against traffic, you, you were going quicker, <laughs> which is like a different mindset to like, I think you, if you are with the flow, it is going to take you. But uh, there's something about also kind of pushing back and, and, and anyway. so And being in your own flow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that flow aspect is something that I get by being doing what I do for a living um, because I mean it is for a living yeah you, you you sometimes sit down and you just wake up like four hours later and you're like only what have like what have I done uh, not not in like a <laughs> but you got justified your co-founder and my co-founder like what I've done for the last four hours but then you you generally have done some stuff and it's great work and I never got that from when I had a job um, and I don't think you, you you're not saying you can't get it but I, I wasn't able to anyway so I got back into university but then I finished up doing my postgrad at Stellenbosch and Stellenbosch um, uh, I was doing economics and loved, and economics is what it was just one of the subjects I really love and um, so I'd done all this five years of kind of like self-study on discussions about vegetarianism and plant-based and efficiencies and ethics and all that kind of stuff about eating animals and so I just applied that to a thesis which became the economic case for vegetarianism uh, it's 2009. And, um, you know, I look back at that paper and it's very, you know, it's a literature review and it's not much to it. But um, at the time, you can imagine 15 years ago in South Africa, 10 years ago in South Africa now, plus, um, and in Stenbosch, like these discussions were not being had. I mean, vegetarian food was for vegetarians and that was about it. The discussions on food system wasn't really at the stage and level that it is now. I think a lot of the time, the discussion, which was always my frustration within the climate movement and still is today, to be honest, is um, let's focus on the big things like uh, energy and transport and stuff. And they don't look at the thing that happens three times a day in front of everybody's Exactly, meeting. that everyone is experiencing. It's our level playing field. Mm. But what made you choose vegetarian being this bright guy? Um, it was this, it was a kind of combination of things. It was this um, discussions uh, about the ethics of eating animals. So, you know, I would say the init- the reason why I stopped eating meat was because simple ethical question of wh- why do we eat some animals and not others? And, and that, that was just the, the cleanest version of, I don't want to get into all these big debates about it. It was just like, well, you know, if we look at how um, the French eat horses and frogs and um, the Chinese eat, um, I was supposed to say everything, but like a lot. Um, and then we look at them when there's the dog festival happening or dolphin or like the Danish who, 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 who still do whaling. And here sitting in southern suburbs of South Africa, Cape Town, or Santon or whatever, they look it down on people and judge them and act, you know. And I'm like, how how can you do that when when you do far worse by continuing to eat fat or intensively raised chicken and predominantly chicken, but intensively raised animals in in our country, and we do that every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a billion animals, over a billion animals in South Africa that are eaten every year, and more on the, on in that are taken out the ocean, and we don't know the number really. And, um, and, you know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm no longer the person that kind of wants to highlight these facts and figures and argue about them. So that economic case for vegetarianism was like, 
a good way because what happened is it got me a job and it got me a job at a company that makes alternative meat products. And so my career from 2011 just went immediately into saying, how do you find a solution? So you're talking about Fry's, which Correct. was the company, the plant alternative, protein alternative mm. that was based in Durban. Okay. Yeah. And did they find you by hearing about your thesis or what was the connection there? It is my mom. Um, my mom is. We have uh, to give a, we have to give a little always, shout out to I your mother. A, yeah, I always give too many shout outs to my mom. I, th- I mean, I think people are saying what's her serious. name? We want to know her name. Uh, her name is Leslie. Leslie. Um, there we yeah, go. So, um, yeah, so yeah, so my mom, uh, as, I, as I said, she was just brilliant in that she uh, uh, firstly put up with me, as still does, um, uh, through, throughout the last 35 years. But um, she. She just, uh, she's, as I said, virgin for, for ages, wasn't a big thing for her, didn't put it down, literally didn't put it down our throats. Um, I think she's, you know, that and all you know, those topics. And um, she's, been, she's been eating fries for years. I mean, she used to get the newsletters, you know, the, that kind of level and would email, like, you know, mom's email back to the newsletter. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever, if you send out a newsletter, you will get, if you're a company doing food, the mom, the mom will gonna get, it's gonna respond, and like, and they will like say, look, I tried that meal. It wasn't that good, but that one was good. You know, like give you some proper feedback. It's which the was, best market research uh, exactly. around. I mean, it's also the person that makes a decision for, right, for the family. For, for people. I mean, as a marketer now of 15 years, it's like, that's the person you speak to, to be honest. She just said, uh, you wrote this thesis. And also my folks were, <laughs> but in the beginning, my folks were like, please, Brett, just do something normal. Don't write this thesis. Not like exactly like that, but like, don't go down this route. Just do something. You studied economics. Um, I actually was going to do a, my thesis on a South African reserve bank. That's what I, I was like, let me just do that. They were like, uphold the family just, name, just, Brett. Just, yeah, just do, we don't want to pay for anything more of your stuff. Right. Um, and then I almost did. I was actually started like writing, I was in the, the com labs at Stelly's and I was just smashing it out. And then um, I just, I was like, no, I can't do this. And it was like late on a Thursday night or whatever. And I just started properly researching my, my real thesis. And, um, and then it just came and it like I popped it out. And, my, and then my mom just said I should email Fry's. And I emailed Tammy Fry. Um, and she's the marketing director, well, their marketing director of Fry's when they had tiny team, tiny team. I don't think you guys, people realize how small they were and how much, they were, how much they've grown in the last 10 years um, in, the, in the admin side, uh, not the manufacturing side. And she said, yeah, do you want to come work and do sales and marketing for a company that, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I think she knows that. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure she's very proud of you now though. Mm, yeah. No, my mom will tell me. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, both, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So no, I mean, both, I mean, both of, uh, Good, good context and like Tammy's been a mentor and, you know, helps with a lot of what we I'm doing now and, and, and everything. So, yeah, I think it's been quite lucky to have some that, you know, I mean, to have that kind of support is, is very helpful. Fundamental. Mm. Well, it, it is quite interesting when you talk about the science because, I mean, fries now at this stage, if I'm correct, have been around for 30 years, mm. which basically predated Beyond Meat mm. and Impossible Burger in South Africa. And I think that's incredibly... Um, you know, satisfying thought to have is that this company spearheaded the way yeah. and that you are now pivoting from this plant-based alternative to protein to looking at real meat. Mm. From fries, you basically then decide what, I mean, because you, you have this, was Meatless Mondays an offshoot of fries or did that come through ProVeg? 
Well, no. So, so I started at Fry's just um, sales and marketing, and um, which was great learnings. And as you said, like they, uh, there's a seriously interesting way that South Africa creates a case study that then you can apply to other parts of the world. Um, for example, uh, we've got one of the largest Hindu populations outside of India. You know, now that means that you've got a block consumer block in, in KZN and Lene- KZN by the way is is, is KwaZulu-Natal, KwaZulu-Natal which is where one of our biggest cities is which is called Durban and yes. that's where you were based correct okay. I, lived, I lived in Durban for five years yes great great I had a great time in Durban really Surf, bunch. the surfing town yeah I just I mean I had like a lot of surfing mates but I didn't really surf much but um, I enjoyed the other aspects of like the berg being there and just being able to swim uh, without freezing is great it's very very warm it's place is too warm but you've got this block um of a purchasing power from a from a group of individuals who reduce or cut back on their meat consumption twice a year quite considerably for fasting reasons as march and september two big fasting periods during the hindu calendar in south africa it's also slightly different to to, um, south african hindu and i'm not an expert here so i'm going to quickly talk over this but compared to what has happens in, in in the fasting calendar elsewhere but also south african indians also do eat meat predominantly because they've become christian or um, less religious or assimilated assimilated in a way. yeah and then but they're also as they're still culturally hindu so they still follow because their great aunt is the she fasts so now the whole family must still fast for example right the reason the matriarch, why, the matriarch yeah it's always <laughs> look this way i mean there's really interesting things about like survival of species and the importance of having a good matriarch but that put a good testing ground to go and take okay you know let me try and test these meat alternative products that large group of people weren't here we you know fries might not have had the same level of success because they had to then rely on selling to vegetarians and vegans which is not big in south africa and they weren't big 30 years ago right so you had that combination and then also you've got all these other interesting components you've got um well, firstly, it's a very westernized country, um, even though it's in Africa. Um, and then you've got uh, a large Rastafari uh, population, which was also cuts back on meat, for example. They eat uh, etal, which is uh, like pure f- foods. It's not vegan, vegetarian strictly, but it just means pure, I think. Um, and you've Seventh-day Adventists and you've got, you know, there's just this... Sects. You know, there's, just, there's just all these things that combine to be able to say, like compared to what you might find in another part where you're trying to sell vegan food to Swedish people, which will be, they will be all uniform. You, you get this good testing ground. And I think that's why part of the reason of fries, but other companies and why I think why we will be successful is for the same thing is that we can prove it here and then take it elsewhere. And that's what fries did. Right. And they were able to defend because people come into our markets, into the South African markets, and they don't understand this, the consumer. Right. And they don't understand how important meat is and all these things are. So, and I think and and that's where I started like saying I needed to move into a new direction from plant-based because I don't think we will ever stop eating meat. And obviously South African is a highly focused, for need of a better word, meat culture. It's mm. ceremonial. It's, um, you know, there's many gatherings that happen around slaughtering a cow. It's aspirational. It's a symbol of wealth, aside from obviously people just enjoying eating it and tasting mm. it. So it makes sense that something of this nature would be a necessity going forward and that we need to balance, I suppose, a combination of ethics, of health and of culture in one place. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, the additional things that I, like, so I think South Africa's per meat consumption compared to the rest of the world and the developed world isn't as high because you've still got a large uh, low-income group who are trying to eat more meat and 
you know, don't uh, particularly malnutrition amongst younger children is high, so they don't get enough protein, for example. But there still is this, I think, that aspirational component, which is massive. It's very difficult to tell people that, you know, we've been eating cheap meat for 200 years and now you can't. It's like, well, that's quite a, well, not 200 years ago, but but we've been eating, we've been benefiting from it and now we're saying, okay, we're going to shift, have lentils. It's It doesn't really fly. And trust me, I've been telling, talking to people about this for 15 years. It doesn't work. Mm. Um, so, you know, so that, that I think plays a big part of it. I also think this, you know, there's this cultural component that you mentioned, ceremonial components. I mean, there's just, in every sort of culture, there is that, but you've, there is some level of intensity that you do find here. Um, this attachment to meat, uh, if I can call it that, um, whether it's hunting, um, trophy hunting is still very popular, popularized, and there's reasons and arguments, let's say, from a conservationist point of view, but I know it's, it's more just a chias going out and shooting some animals. But then, and then, and then I think you, you've got the biggest kind of example is that our Heritage Day, which is 24th September, which has been renamed unofficially to Bride Day. I mean, how do you, how, like, what other proof do you need to say that South Africans really like meat and barbecue and shishinyama and poiki and whatever it is. What is shishinyama just for our international audience? It it literally translates to hot meat. So, I mean, um, we call it, you know, I'm not going to say more words. It's like, you know, shabin. So it's like tavern, um, taverns um, with just tons and tons of meat cooked on like an open flame. It's like in these cut, cut out, um, Bins, I don't know. It's kind of like a burnt meat yeah. from coal. Yeah, right. yeah, they yeah, use coal as a yeah, basis, and it's and it's generally found in environments that are like um, townships or favelas mm. yeah. or shanty towns, yeah. things like that. So it's where, but it's a, it's very much. Is it almost? Could you call it like an urban translation of? Um, you, you know, just bringing in that tradition yeah, of, yeah. of, of I think, continuing to eat meat in an urban context. Well, I think you know, look. Um, Firstly, then we were trying to look at some of the numbers in terms of the amounts of meat they go through. Um, these uh, informal sectors where you can't, there isn't like an official registration on it. And it's very, uh, like, it's very high. There's no official count, but it's very high. Backyard slaughter. I mean, if you're looking at Nigeria, for example, the backyard slaughter in town, in informal markets, is massive. That feeds into townships. So and the similar thing you'll find in South Africa. There's a lot of un- ability to bring your livestock to market because of regulations for subsistence type farmers. And so they have to push um, the product for somewhere else because they need to make money. And that goes into your informal market. And um, I mean, the guy that's got a spatchcock uh, chicken, is that, that's also pretty open. I know, I know that's a, that's not a South African term, uh, but that's doing those on the side on a, on a, on a, on a flame, I mean, he's making a lot of, he's put, pushing a lot of birds. So, so there's this, it's like across the line, you've got a lot of consumption of animals. You've got a different attitude, I think, to most. Um, there is, I think, then there's always an opportunity because um, this idea about aspirational protein means that they don't want soy. They don't want wheat. They want something, you know, they want something that like showcases that they are moving up in the social mobility ladder. And, and I think that's where Mzanzi and what we're trying to do is make a commodity priced product premium. But yeah, I don't know if I'm jumping too ahead, no. but that's, um, that's, that's our goal is, is to make commodity pr- prices available so that every, every South African and everybody can eat it. And then, but then also convince, um, you know, the people that are, that are, that don't believe that you can eat plant based at the level that they used to. So we want to be making steaks. We want to be making 
um, chicken breasts and um, yeah, fillet of fish that are prime cuts opposed to crumb crumbs or should I say off cuts. Off cuts. Thank yes. you. Yes. Beer, the beer and the squash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have also just been talking a lot because we're doing some serious pitches at the moment. So not serious, oh. but just a lot of pitches. They're all serious. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I try not to take them too seriously because then you do get, yeah, you get in your own head and you just, yeah, and then somebody says no and you're just like, no, okay, that's fine. Move on. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. Mm. I mean, well, well, let's actually take a step back because I think it would be important to explain how this all works. So I know that what's interesting is you started these animal advocacy organizations yeah. just pre-COVID in a way. Mm. Um, one is called the, the Credence Institute and mm. the other one is Animal Advocacy Africa. Yeah. Africa. Do you want to just give us like a brief outline of what mm. they're about? Because I think it's quite interesting that you um, predated Mzanzi Meat with these research bodies or think tanks, which actually help support your narrative mm. and, and, and bring other stakeholders into the mix so that they can also benefit from what's coming out. So maybe yeah. that would be helpful. And I'll just sort of link it together because you did ask about Meat Free Mondays and prize, so and I didn't answer it because I, I don't know what I spoke about. So <laughs> start talking about spatchcock chickens. Um, yeah, I probably speak about meat more than any meat eater and vegan vegetarian in the world, or in South Africa at the very least. It's kind of very confusing life I have. Um, so yeah, I think um, so. So I was working at Fry's, and, and they've the family is it's it was a family business that's been sold onto an international organisation, and it's now grown massively over the last ten years. Um, but they were very passionate about environments, and Tammy, my former boss was also very animal rights driven she's probably like an animal rights activist i'm probably not in, in many a way so she had given us the op she just said look um, you can have this ability to go do some uh, animal advocacy if he has a small budget and 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 they had started meat free mondays and fries had started it um and then trying to just get it going because it was like it's it's more of like a a movement. It's a movement. A it's meant to just get people thinking on a Monday. Oh, let me just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't need fries just as long as they're cutting back, which, you know, I think it has done that. I mean, it's really, you know, it, South Africans, like if you go to any kind of restaurant, you'll often see a meat free Mondays thing, which is always, you know, gets my, gets a lump in the throat. So, um, but uh, so, so yeah, so I ran that program for a while. It was just a nationwide, it was a nationwide campaign, meat reduction campaign. Um, just speaking to tons of South Africans, going to do school talks, speaking like just a lot of awareness. I think overseas it's called Meatless Monday. Meatless Monday, yeah, it's the same. It's affiliated, yeah, it's all connected. I mean, it was started in the UK by by um, Paul McCartney and his wife is Linda McCartney, and she was yeah, quite she progressive was, and yeah, vegetarian. Yeah. And vegan. then she started a company called Linda McCartney, also with the plant based alternatives. Okay, and then she, you know, she, I think she passed away with cancer. Yes, long ago. Yeah. So, so then did that, and then through that work, um, got connected with a lot of people that work in animal advocacy globally, and and we brought out some folks to the South Africa and American and a Belgian guy, and then they said, well, why don't why, why don't you come spend some time in Europe? And then I got offered a job in in Berlin, and so I worked at a um, an NGO in Berlin um, and another called Beyond Carnism, which is run by Melanie Joy. She's a psychologist that looks like the psychology of why we eat some animals and not others. And then I went to work for ProVeg. Um, so I was there for a while. And ProVeg being? ProVeg International is a food awareness organization um, based in Berlin. They've got around promoting plant-based foods and also promoting like the advocacy around it and also just sort of the legislation and helping people like ensure that in areas where they operate that, or actually across the world, that plant-based options are growing and people can 
be connected to them quickly and um, yeah, just helping out um, a lot of a lot of people internationally. And they've got a, uh, f- I mean, they do a lot more stuff. I haven't been there for a while. So, but they 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 have a company. They have a branch in China. They have a branch in the US. They've got people in Europe and everything. So I was a, like the kind of global coordinators cord which I don't really know what I did, but I just kind of coordinated. Sounds fancy. Yeah, it sounded fancy. It was a great business card. Um, and then I wasn't there for like hardly a year. And then I, I said, no, this is not for me anymore. And I came back to South Africa. And then in that time between, I took a couple of months off, but that's where the well, the idea for Credence had already begun. So Credence, um, you know, it's actually something that I've been thinking about. It's basically 10 years, 20 years. It's a think tank that... Um, looks to use research to advance the interests of animals um, through a few number of channels. One of them being through sort of publicly making uh, market research publicly available. There is a veil around information at the till in South Africa that you don't understand what people are purchasing. And if you do want to buy that kind of data, you have to spend a lot of money or be part of um, a big brand or Nielsen data and all that kind of stuff. So that's, I think, is a bit of a bit of a market failure that we want to try and rectify and, and get that information available so that policymakers, businesses, et cetera, which would speak to this meat analog um, ban that we've had here in South Africa recently and try and present data to politicians so hopefully they can have, well, somewhat more informed decisions. And how's that been received so far? Have you got any examples that you can share with us? Yeah, so I mean, Will, our, our biggest um, two projects to date, in terms of the outcome of the data or the projects? Both. Both. So the um, so the biggest project that we've uh, done to date was, um, you know, over the last 10 years, I've been, look, I've been working in, in, I mean, working in the space for 10 years and going, um, and chatting to people all over the world, and, and 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 also when I was when I was global coordinator, I ran an event or worked with an event with another guy, uh, where we got about 160 people from all over the world to come to Berlin and present ideas about effective advocacy and just becoming more practical in the way that you approach your effective change for animals, essentially, um, and um, couldn't. The only South African or the only African person that was there was me, mm. which, um, you know, I just like, there's reasons for that. But, you know, the main reason is that I was trying to get like, well, a couple of guys from Nigeria and a couple of guys from, a couple of ladies actually was from Kenya and um, just couldn't get the visa right. Like it was just, the, the you know, the guys coming in from Latin America and um, Southeast Asia were easily coming in. But if you're coming from Africa, which is like literally closer, it was just such a pain in the ass, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you you, like, so that's just like this high level, simple example of how Africa has been constantly left. Right, out of the the equation. Out of the equation. And there's this one of my favorite, and that's just like amongst people, like there they want, you know, they were paying, like we want people from Africa to be there. And it's so ironic because Mm. I mean, we've got wilderness after yeah. wilderness. I mean, conservation is such a big part of the agenda. And we've just got, you know, large groups of indigenous populations living very close to animal communities. Yeah. Well, they're doing it better. I mean, in a lot of places, I think is what, and you know, you've got, um, yeah, well, the, well, the one thing is like, well, currently there's a better, a lot of better systems here, let's say, um, and being closer to to how we whether it's has animal husbandry or, or how we do conservation. But um, the other component, there's going to be a billion people on the planet and they're all going to be here in Africa. Every like one, I think in one, two, and this is my, I'm not, don't quote me here, but like one in every one, 
out of two babies is going to be African in the next 20 years. I think it's like a quarter of people on the planet. It's just going to be, the population is going to be here. So um, we've got a head start. We've got a head and, and And the the beauty is, is almost a cliche now is the ability for Africa to leapfrog technologies that, <clears throat> you, you know, we, you, you don't have poles of um, transmitting information like, like, like a telephone poles in the east or the horn of Africa because... It's just got mobile. Right. Payment is all through mobile. So it's mobile. So fintech has done incredibly well. So, mm. but anyway, so so you have this, this frustration of like that example, and I gave so many, and like like I used to always do a lot of trying to fundraising for personally trying to fundraise for my own nonprofit, but also to help people based out of South Africa, whether they're from Zimbabwe or Zambia or Uganda. Um, some guys from Ghana, and then um, and I was just like, this is a this is a massive bottleneck in, in, and uh, and you've got people doing good work and people wanting to do good work etc and there's reasons why there's a misalignment and I can probably break down if you would like but I wanted to solve that and so we Credence had a we were in a incubator program based in London it was quite an incredible one very numbers driven data driven two or three months very intense program but they it was during COVID but um, they covered like life living expenses so that you could do it we did this research project AAA came out and then what the subsequent research was the most effective interventions that you can do in Africa if you're looking um, to have impact for animals particularly livestock animals and then the um, the areas oh, now I've gone blank on the second one but anyway the, the point of now that research is to bring a million dollars into Africa for animal advocacy exclusively in livestock and we've already in the last six months, and I'm, it's, I say we, but it's my team. I just advise them. I'm not even, no, they, they do things better without me. Brett, I love the way you're so self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, it's quite amusing to watch yeah. even your body language <laughs> says it. But, but yeah. we, and I mean, just obviously you hold an important role and you've mm. got something important to say. So yeah. let's just acknowledge that. So. Yeah, but that's that's twenty five years of stuff that I haven't been able to deal with from when I was younger. So let's just move past that. Which um, <laughs> is why but, you hated your psychology yeah, class. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, that just that just unearthed so much stuff that now I have to pay for it at a proper psychologist. But um, the, so 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 anyway, maybe that's why you do so many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's free, you know. Exactly. Free session. Um. So anyway, so then they so they're trying to bring a million dollars in, and then they've already brought I don't know X amounts. Uh, you know, in in uh, with when working with small organizations and. Getting them check sizes of twenty thousand, fifty thousand um, dollars, which has an incredible amount of impact when you're in Zimbabwe working with uh, work animals like um, like 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 donkeys, for example. Or, um, yeah, so those are, so that's so that's that project. So the real output is more money coming in, and the biggest problem is that well, prior that we found is that the reporting back to donors wasn't good enough. Right. So people get cut off, but because these it's one it's a one man band. Um, in in Ghana, and he's doing everything. He's like he's not he's not checking all the math, and he's not keeping on the receipts and all that kind of stuff. So we help with that. Okay. So we help that with that report that goes back that it's it's far more succinct. More yeah. Exactly. So okay. that's so that's AAA, and, and then Credence is just we we've pumped we've pumped out a lot of market research that um, was this what stimulated um, uh, and and kind of connected me. To saying we'll, we'll connect the dots with another, when I met this other guy who was also interested in cultivated meat to say there's an opportunity in Africa to start the first cultivated meat company 
And that's was okay. in Zanzi, so 2019. I would have imagined that that was the lead up, mm. that that actually reinforced what you knew and were joining the dots to actually go, okay, how do we solve this problem now? Mm. So the interesting thing is then you decide to start a company just as COVID yeah. is hitting, which is obviously a great time because you can be in development phase when the rest of the world is asleep, mm. in inverted commas. So tell us about that process and tell us more about how you do this it. whole thing works. Okay. Yes, I was uh, connected to a guy um, in 2019 and he, he he was a bit more understanding on the technical side of things. And he said, like, this is something that we should do. And I was coming from a marketing component and um, that sort of set the, bu- the ball rolling. Um, it was February 2020. And it was actually down the road at the Old Castle Brewery in Woodstock, Cape Town, for those who, who, who aren't familiar with it. And um, that was when the idea kind of became, it started happening. We actually like registered the company name. And I've told the story on podcasts before, but like one of the first things we did was we needed a scientist. So there's two non-technical founders at the moment. Um, and so we needed a technical person to advise and sort of instruct and um, with some seniority and a lab. Right. We didn't have a lab, so we had nothing. We just outsourced everything. We basically, I mean, we basically had to. We yes. tried to, and, and then and then you also didn't know that this impeding and like sort of cloud of or not a cloud tsunami of um, COVID was about to hit. So, so she she we had this meeting with her, and for forty five minutes she just she was a professor from a leading university in South Africa, and she just ripped us apart. She just said, this is a stupid idea. It's never going to work. Why don't you just make veggie burgers? Do you even know? It's like, and you know, exactly walked out of that. And I was like, cool, I'm an entrepreneur. Exactly. Yeah, I just I like that, that, was, that, was, yeah. that was it. And so then that kind it's of gulf, right of you know, Yeah, you have to. I mean, I get it still and I wish they would stop. But um, the, the, so that galvanized and then the next thing things started rolling. We registered the company, I think like the 6th of March. And I must get, so then two weeks later, we go into lockdown. And I called the time, you know, was the, the, the pitches and PJs time. So yeah, the world was at sleep, but everybody was in there. Everyone's at home. And but they we were just, in their PJs from the waist down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I like, luckily, um, yeah, I had, uh, I, had, I, had, I had a couple of decent shirts because, you, you know, nobody was ironing them because I'm useless. And, uh, but then we were just sending our pitches and, and trying to get people. And then for six months, we bootstrapped this whole situation. And when you say we at this point, is it just two people? By that stage, it was um, myself and Jay, my previous co-founder and then my current co-founder Tasneem and she, and so she's um she was working out of Joburg I was working out of Cape Town Jay was in Pretoria and then we were just trying to find scientists and then six months it's like it's hot it was you couldn't get into labs you couldn't buy consumables because the world had stopped right um, and every scientist was obviously yeah, well, focused on COVID funny I mean you said but yeah one of our current um, our, one of our scientists at the moment she for the first, she just pivoted in that first year and she was in PCR testing and all that kind of stuff. And she actually now, there's now this, it's interesting because now there's this sort of like free up of all that talent that, you know, people right. are trying to capture. Right. So, so we, we do have a, you know, somebody who's worked in COVID testing and now is working with us. Um, and so, yeah, so you had this six period of time where we're just trying to find a lab. So eventually we find this lab and uh, it's um, also, it's at a, at a place called BioCity, which is in, also in Woodstock. And it's it's a world-class facility that they built just before COVID. And they're also a startup. It's a non-profit, private, public, um, governmental, and, you know, big, Thermo Fisher and the big pharmaceuticals sponsored this whole thing and said, 
you can have the keys. It costs you extra extra round a month, and it's yours to use. So was this for multiple biotech startups to use about, this space? Yeah, there's about four or okay, five. Okay, so it's almost like a collab Co- or a hub space for it's biotech. Exactly that, yeah. Okay. So there's, 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 it's a co-working space for labs. Um, it's cheap. Then you know it's too bureaucratic to go through universities, and it's too expensive to go private. Okay, so, so it was such a blessing in disguise. There was, I mean, it just really everything fell into place quite nicely. But let me pause there and kind of tell you what the hell we actually do. Um, I think um, one of the crucial things that I always start when I talk to people about this is that it's not plant based. Right. Okay. So this is not a um, this is not a plant based product where you take. Uh, vegetable protein and texturize it and add flavor and spices and everything and make it taste like meat, which is beyond meat, fries, etc. One thing I do is I also say I eat all those products. I mean, I'm a big fan of Beyond Meat and a big fan of fries. Um, but it, we are different and we're different because of all those conversations that we were having earlier in terms of the importance of creating meat that is meat, not something that's like meat because I think South Africans and many people will not get over the limits, over the hurdle of, right. of that. So what we do is that we we have a good relationship with Grayton Farm Animal Sanctuary, um, which is about an hour and a half from us here here in Cape Town, and we go and take a small biopsy from from Grayton. We've got we've worked with um, we've worked with about ten different animals, um, four different species, but we're making at the moment beef burgers, but we've taken species from lamb. I mean cells from lamb, chicken. And pigs. Okay, so Taurus, the cow, Galaxy, the cow, and I forgot the other lady's name, but then um, Louise, the Neglectful pig. parent you are. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I can only remember four. I think that's enough. <laughs> You're having more than four children, then it's like, ah, okay. Um, but so, and then. So we, they basically, so this is really shooting for the stars. I mean, Galaxy, yeah, Taurus, okay. We didn't, I mean, we didn't, uh, yeah, not Louise, because with the car, but, uh, but um, yeah, so uh, the, yeah, the, those are the, so those are the species that we've had, and we've taken tissue samples from uh, cows and Saldana. Bring them back to, uh, to to our off to our facility, our lab, and um, the 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 procedure is is about it's a five to ten minute procedure. The animal is sedated. We work with Grayton because um, they have the best animal care for livestock animals in part of the country, um, and we work with a state uh, veg, uh, state vegetarian state veterinarian. Um, he's not. I don't think he's vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he um, work with the state veterinarian. Well, he doesn't have to be going no, forward, exactly. right? Exactly. So yes. we that's, that's we want to. You know, I, I always say I want to make get rid of those terms. That's I don't I don't like right. the terms vegan and vegetarian for people. I think it's good for food. It's not good for people. I, you know, you don't want to give yourself a branding. Um, Interesting. So that's but that's probably yes. that's another discussion. So there we um, it's a it's a size of about a peppercorn. Um, and we take muscle and fat samples. This is the cell that, that well, it's you a, it's extract a, it's from a bio, the... It's, it's a biopsy. So it's um, it's a needle... Yes, uh, it's a punch bi- it's, a, it's a punch biopsy. So okay. they, they they do a small incision. They, they take a punch and it takes the muscle and uh, a fat. There is some level of discomfort, but it's not um, it's not a lot. The animal is up and running with some meds by an, within an hour. Um, and as I said, work with we work with Grayson because Nikki and her team are just dedicated to right. improving the lives of animals there. Um, and then bring them back to uh, our facility and do a process where we break down them, break down them to their more like cellular level through the use of enzymes. Um, we then combine that in a, um, a couple of, uh, there's two or three other sort of steps. We place it in a nutrient 
dense um, media, um, which is all we're trying to do is replicate what's happening in that cow's body outside of the cow's body. Right. So we take those cells, we pop it into something um, which is called a bioreactor or a fermenter. It looks like a a vat at at one stage in a microbrewery, for example. Right. So that's where we're getting to. We take the cells, we pop it in in a smaller version of those. And then we add a nutrient dense media, which is, it's, it's just the building box to life almost. It's the, it's inorganic salts, it's glucose, it's insulin, it's, um, it's uh, amino acids, it's fatty acids, it's a combination of proteins, a combination of growth factors that kind of keep the cells going. Cause these cells are like, like kind of little teenagers. They're, they're very, alive. They're alive. Right. Uh, yeah. But the, the other thing, and to, to, to what you highlighted is now, is we, we regulate um, th- it's 37 degrees and it's carbon dioxide and oxygen. So this is, I mean, if I'm understanding, it's like an incubator. It's, it's almost exactly, like a, sorry, it's exactly like okay, an incubator. Okay, so, so it's, it's, I mean... An incubator is where we start and then we move into something called this fermenter. Okay, so if you imagine a fridge, for example, which is at a certain temperature to keep your food cold, this mm. is actually something that looks similar, I would imagine, but it's at 37 degrees, mm. um, which is which is our normal... Body temperature. Body temperature for mammals. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and um, I like that it's like the world's worst oven and it's the most expensive oven. It's just... How it, much does one of these things cost? An incubator, I actually don't know off the top of my head. Like if it's... I mean, a new one is in... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mistake here, but it's in the tens, fifty to 150,000. Like it's, it's, it's in that kind of range. Plus, um, we have a, you know, we've actually bought a couple of second hands, so we're, we're bootstrapping, but right. the version that, the one that we do have that is brand new is like, I mean, it's incredible. Like it, it like opens a door and knows what time, you know, what time the door is open. It can like t- track the temperature and right. everything inside. So they actually, it's quite, it's quite a cool tech. Um, and how many experiments or not experiments, but yeah. how many, flasks or how can you yes yeah. can you do it at one point so it's all about scale so the current scale that we're at now um we've got a max capacity um of 100 liters of production essentially which is small it's just, it's like a you know very it's like a home brewing kit size right right um, right and we can produce a couple of kilograms at the best case scenario of meat per month um we are running experiments and are looking at doing several different species so the beef and uh, the, the fat and muscle that goes with that pork and are the kind of key ones that we're doing but then we're running different experiments all the time to kind of test optimization and that's our goal the whole time is to make sure that the cell density is, is increasing and that um, the media that we're using is increasing and that the way that we are growing it is um, resulting in optimal conditions so just for the listener's sake, mm. can we just go back one step? Once this cell is extracted mm. and it's put into, I would imagine, like a Petri dish and then... Yeah, it's a flask. So it's a, a flask, okay. It's a, it's a, but it is a sort of 2D flask that um, the cells grow on, on, the, on the one side of the dish, um, as, 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 you, as you're pointing out there. So, so then, and then you feed it with these nutrients, mm-hmm. um, this variety of nutrients, mm-hmm. and then it obviously... I've heard you refer to it as a scaffold. So, mm. if oh, yeah. so, so it's like a mold in a sense that the, that it would grow around. Like if, if people can imagine the scaffold around the building, you have to create that first and then you actually mm. build the building. Exactly. Well, it, it, it's like a skeleton. It's like a false skeleton, I would yeah. imagine. Well, it's so in the scaffold, it'd probably be more, it's better to think about it in terms of sort of, it's like what your extra 
extreme uh, matrix or cellular matrix uh, in your in the, if you had to sort of do a sort of cut through your arm and look at how your your muscles are kept together within the connective t- yeah right. connective tissue and all that type of stuff that's what we're trying to reproduce okay but, but in a closer at the more cellular level there there are two ways that we're doing it the one is that our cells are what we're calling adapting to their environment so that they can actually create structure themselves and different differentiate as, as and turn into the things they need to turn into that creates that cells, that creates those clumps, that creates a structure. However, we also do need to give it at, um, some level of, of support through scaffolding. Um, we, we use a, there's a couple of versions, but you can use a mycelium-based um, scaffold. You can use a corn... Meaning mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah, right. mushroom-based uh, or a um, corn-based um, uh, scaffold that the cells can attach to and then grow in an environment that they're far more happy with. Which becomes part of its ingredient yes, nature. Okay. exactly. So then you that final product could and will include some elements of plant-based as well. Ideally, we would want to move away from that completely, but that will take some time. But that's, um, those cells basically grow together and together. And after a while, they form these kind of, um, yeah, cell, cell lines and let's say it like that. And then, um, they, they just, if they look, they start finding for these fine uh, tubes. Right. Which, if, um, again, go back to like a sort of 3D cut of what your muscle tissue looks like. If you had to like pull out one of those threads, from the inside the muscle, that's that's the starting point, okay. and then you obviously create millions of those together, put them together, form them, um, and give them some sort of scaffold to grow within and on, attached to. Then we harvest something like that, and it takes, uh, well, at the moment, it's three to four weeks, um, and then we have a muscle mass that we can harvest and form. But we do still currently use plant based to give it more of a structure because right. we haven't. Got the, got there too. Right. Yeah. I mean, just listening to you, it mm. sounds absolutely fascinating yeah. just to see how brilliantly designed our mm. systems are and to watch this thing grow. It's like watching a baby growing inside someone's stomach, you know, and actually seeing this thing form all of its own doing. Like you can just sit back, give it the nutrients that it needs, like an umbilical cord, and then watch this thing come to life. Don't you feel amazed every day when you're seeing this thing? Are you seeing the wonder of this creation? Yeah, I think, look, you're three years into running a startup. You definitely get tired. A little bit you, of burnout. You get a little yeah. burnout. I mean, I'm, I'm seriously, I want to, you know, to get the odd burnout. Um, because of how amazing it is, it's unfair how cool my job is sometimes. Like what I get to do and what I get to witness and the conversations that I'm involved with and I'm never the smartest person in the room. Yeah, it's, and I'm, so the, so like that, so there's a lot of that. There's so def, definitely like, you know, there's that, uh, there's a level of those things. You're just like, come on, this this is really cool, but no, I also want to just make burgers and, and sell them to pick and pay. Um, but I've seen it so many times how like things have just, I mean, let me, this will probably interest you. Um, so I haven't really spoken to like the specifics and like where the value of the company lies. The value of the company is not that we sell the money that we make from selling burgers. That's that's just, that's the output. Right. It's going to be the technology that's developed below the line, can I say, that can be applied A, to food, to meat, but to medical, to who knows what in, in the future. We're developing these things called, as, as I mentioned before, bioreactors, which are just like, they keep, things tissues like tissue culture happy right which could be used for 
research for any other things. Right. So it's it, almost reverse engineering in a way. Well, right. We took, we took, well, um, my R&D director has got 20 years in biotech experience and he took bioreactors and reworked them to go from lab to food grade. Hmm. So, you know, the, we now can go from developing food grade, but then you can go backwards again and then you make these cheap medical systems that could get used to, to do good all over the world. So the point is, is that there's just so many wonders that come from it. And the, the, the amazing thing that, um, um, one of the, the amazing ones that really stuck out for me is that the actual cell lines that we've developed, they're the building box. Okay, so it took us 18 months to get our cell line to a point where we can um, use it continuously let me say so what is happening is that that cell line is duplicating over and over and over again and we've created a process but after a while that duplication stops and the cell line dies oh. um, so you have to go back to the car or you have to go back and kill the car and take the steak you know can just yeah. eat the steak instead so we've developed a cell line and, and, and the technology is proprietary but it's been done by the other companies around the world that has done it to say that we technically never have to go back to a car ever again so depending on scale, theoretically, we can make meat. If we had the scale, if we had the money and right. the ability to do that, we have got the ability to take a vial and then set up shop and get them all eating Saldana, South African grown meat within a month. That ability has blown my mind. It's the biggest thing that keeps me going. It's knowing that this technology has that availability to do that. There's scientific limits that I can talk to. There's, there's scale limits. There's, there's consumer limits. There's regulations. But in terms of what we're looking at now, the world opens up. How do you have scarcity with meat? So those are things that really get to me and make me excited. And then the other component that really blows my mind is that the cell line that we got to get to this point, um, it's called Vescus, as in West Coast, because um, that's where she's from, is, um, and the reason I keep saying she is because most... Um, animals within the food system of um, female, yeah, um, because of yeah, variety of reasons. But and um, I actually didn't know that. Why yeah, is that? well, like this, all male chicks are killed at um, when they're sexed at birth because they don't produce eggs. Of obviously, okay. So, and then most sows, you know, I mean, most pigs are sows because they obviously produce i mean it's it's about the production of the next species mm. so so the most of the meat that we eat is is, is from yeah and then but i mean men or males been this in the they play another even worse role because um you've got veal uh produced which is a byproduct of the dairy industry so you've just got uh, which is male calves mostly because they don't produce milk so anyway like it's a system that has it is what it is now and we, we probably We'll look back and say, well, okay, I'm glad we changed the way right. that we do it. So we take this uh, the cell line, and um, which is essentially it's called immortal. It's just it's like a starter kit. You never you just have to keep scraping off the top. Right. We just took 18 months to do that, and it was just keeping life alive. And then it did it spontaneously. We won't trademark it because it's natural. Right. The cell line that we developed was a, just a spontaneous. Thing. And then you just and then you see this stuff happen on a microscope and you just see life happen. It's it blows the mind. You become very humbled. You know, you're just like, oh, what the hell am I doing here? Right. You, you go know, through this this whole set of human emotion mm. because it's completely out of your control mm. what happens and how nature then yeah. takes over, right? Exactly. And then it's how do you showcase this to the world in a way that actually is improving it? I think that kind of, there are two kind of directions I want to go in here. But one is speaking of like cell lines, I know that you very cleverly 
great marketing spin, wanted to approach the president of South Africa, Soro Ramaphosa, to get his mm. um, cell line from his, I don't know what they call the game. Ancole. Ancole, yeah. Very, very high breed mm. of cattle, um, which I think recently sold for about 2.9 million dollars or so. No, I don't think it was per, I think it was for, oh, the, herd. for the herd. I think it was like the most expensive. If there are any people that are correcting this, it's like in the 900,000 rands uh, per bull or something. Yes, I have it somewhere here, but mm. I don't know where it is. So it, I just, so I think that that's really interesting that you knocked on his door because obviously, once again, very uh, a symbol of almost regalness or regality. I don't mm. know what the word is. To possess cattle mm. is a sign of wealth. So you go to directly knock on the president's door, um, who has this particular regal line of cattle and you want to reproduce this in your labs. Tell us the story, the backstory. The backstory is, um, yeah, we we were just looking at creative ways of how, how do we launch this to um, the South African, South African audience? How do we, um, yeah, get people excited about it? And But more importantly, you know, we've got to get uh, regulators on board which we're working with at the moment and we've been in discussions, but they're not easy conversations and they're slow and, um, and those guys have got a lot of stuff to do. Um, you just hope that we're not high on their agenda because that means they've got, well, they should be doing something else. <laughs> so, you know, there was a couple of reasons, push factors to say and, and started circling to be like, well, this is a good idea. Um, and um, to like, how do we make a big splash? And then um, just the spoilers, we didn't end up going on, like we didn't pursue the project. We got, we did the bang. We got a lot of noise and stuff. Um, we, yeah, one of our scientists actually um, came up with the idea. Yeah, he's a PhD science smart guy, um, and he said, like, you know, I've got this idea because his thing was like, how do you, you know, look, uh, you're trying to help your people as a president. Of course, that's what everybody wants to. And do. he understands uh, the value yeah. of. Well, I mean, he understand. I mean, he understands the value of his own his his. his stud farm but he he just also understands like the political power of saying oh i could feed my people right. with my animal you know and without and then still keep the the, the cow that does gives the goose well no the, the golden the golden, golden eggs the golden yeah. goose for the egg so so that was like the kind of prospect and the idea behind it so we put position it to say that like look we we um we really think we can, you know, we can do this. It's going to be an exciting project. It was, it was a, definitely like a PR stunt, but trust to be able to make a couple of Ancolis burgers for Cyril, um, I think would have just been through the amazing. And then just to sort of reality, what happened is that uh, we, we got, I mean, I, I won't mention, I show like, I got quite close to like a one person away from, from Cyril, one or, and then from a few people. And they all were like, okay, it's not that we are, oh, they weren't, they weren't opposed to it. That was the cool thing. Um, but then what happened is that the, it was about July last year and then the, the riots in Durban happened. So then we were like, oh, it's a bit of, you know, to make a political play on a, on a, on a thing that's a bit, you know, there's a lot of other stuff in the news. Um, timing. Timing wasn't great. And we've tried to learn as a company to, you know, timing is everything. And, um, and then the other thing was, I think from their perspective, like from, so he, Cyril has this massive breeding farm and he's like one of the top breeders in the country and they, it's run, it's run by his son. Um, and they were just like, well, you can do it, but you can't say it's Cyril. 
Oh, too late. So, yeah. <laughs> well, like we had already made this bang noise. So right. we're like, well, okay. So can't say it's Cyril. It's a hotbed at the moment politically. Let's just pause. Pause this. And, uh, but it was incredible. I mean, the amount of PR that we got just from saying we would do it right. was amazing. Um, right. Yeah. The, the PR that we've, you know, just as it's on that is that we've just been able to get incredible amounts of PR because what we're doing is so novel, obviously. But now I think our goal is to try and like, how do we get people to not see it as something that's novel or gimmicky, but it's like really, you know. Right. And I think you've been really clever about that in the sense that you've decided to be very open and transparent about Mm. what you're doing from the get-go, which most companies don't do because obviously there's um, IP involved and um, you're doing something that's so cutting edge, you don't even know where it's going. Mm. So it's, it's very changeable all the time. And I, so... I think that's been a very good move because to be inclusive means you haven't ostracized anybody and everybody is, I mean, you've, you've got a lot of stakeholders that you have to engage with across the scope of time, you know, from um, farmers to retailers to scientists to regulators and politicians and ultimately to your end consumer. Mm. And, you know, one when one has enough time it's almost like preparation where you get used to the idea before you get comfortable with maybe trying it Mm. Uh, so I think that there's a lot to be said about having taken that approach and I think that you know and and what's also really I think again audacious of you in doing that is that you're doing it at a time when firstly alternative protein is very high on the agenda it's a new thing in itself, even mm. though it's kind of was started about, well, Fry started about 30 years ago, but Impossible and Beyond were really within the 10-year spectrum, I stand to yeah. be corrected. And that's really only coming to fruition in the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, the other thing that um, I've been reminded of a few times is like alternative proteins have been consumed in the likes of the East for thousands of years. So it's also, so it's not a, it's not a very new, it's not that plant-based and all that is not a new concept. And you also get people that eat predominantly plant-based, not, uh, not seeking alternatives. But we haven't packaged it as yeah. meat or yeah. tasting yeah. like meat. And yeah. I think that that's where the innovation comes in from exactly. those two companies. And obviously <clears throat> there are many more right now. Yeah. I mean, beyond and impossible, obviously the, were the ones that went to like the 2.0, they took it to the next level. You know, they're both them beyond definitely are in a bit of trouble at the moment. So There's a lot of pressure on in terms of their performance sales figures. I mean, they went and IPO'd, I think, and a couple of years ago, and they've there's been a bit of struggle. So there's a bit of pushback happening. And I mean, immediately love that kind of story to say like, okay, now you guys yes. are like, now you're falling through the floor. You're like, wait a second, we just didn't have good sales for two quarters. Like when I worked at Fry's back in, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, like when you had bad sales and I mean, it's bad, but it's not like the company's going anyway. So, so I think that's this classic media trying to like run things out. And then they always compare us to them and they, um, they will bring up stories to say like, oh, what about um, the way that the government's looking at meat analogs and how they can look at you. And so there's, I mean, those are some components that you're right. And, and I think we have tried to counter that by being um, transparent and, and open. You know, we had, carte blanche which is like 60 minutes for international um, folks um come and do an interview with us and they stuck their cameras everywhere around our lab and um you know 
I wouldn't want to do that as much going forward because we want people to say be focusing on like the food production side because we want them to say this is the food producer, it's not a lab because it's true. Our lab is going to stay the same size and our food production capacity is going to increase massively. Right. So, so that's what we want to just move people away from thinking we'll hope them they can't if they think like that then that's it but um to move them away from th- thinking about this lab kind of environment where there's tech and it's all like secrets and stuff it's like no it's just like you guys are happy to drink beer with this trade secret on how it's made you drink coca-cola every single day and it's got the six ingredients you know so um i think that's the kind of version and approach that we want to take going forward um but we you know i think myself and taz the founders of the company have want to be we're very open and we answer questions and i think it's to our detriment to be honest i think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors within tech within startup and within all types of um, bc land like the venture capital approach to doing business that the people want that they want too much sizzle and not enough steak <laughs> you know they want a lot of like noise so that they can you know get get people excited about it and then sell their own sell their own stake in it and but um so we we you know it's again we we trying to navigate that and i think it's it's very difficult to be honest so i think it's the, this part of the the whole thing i think is the hardest thing about a startup like in the way that we're doing it raising capital having deep tech and then you know executing on something that's never been done in africa that's hard the you know, getting the science right. So we were getting that, that we're starting to move in that direction. Well, like you said at the beginning, before we started, it is a process. Mm. So from my perspective as a layperson, you know, looking in and, and I'm a non-meat eater. I mean, I do have fish, so I am pescatarian in that sense, but I I stopped eating meat. I think I was in standard nine or grade 11. Mm. We had a, a biology class and for some reason, we dissected an esophagus. I have no idea why. It was obviously what was available. Mm. And I literally felt sick afterwards and I never ate meat again. And so <laughs> I know... I know. Should be our next marketing campaign. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, it's, so for me, I'm, I'm not necessarily your audience, but mm. I, what I will say and why I was so drawn to what you're doing is I find it so educational. And so I think what you're doing by, by making it so transparent is a default education to people. Mm. And that is very powerful. So while you think that the media is always going to play ping pong with you, they, it's, it's, you know, one day you, you know, top of the, the hill and the next day you're, you're in the, you're in the puddle mm. and you've got to be so, and you are, you have such conviction about what you're doing that you've got to find a way to find your own stability within that chaos and and, and stick to your truth. Mm. And I saw, you know, when I was, you know, researching this conversation, I saw that they've recently started in Stanford, I don't know if you're aware of it, um, that there was actually a demand from students to learn more about alternative protein. And so what they've actually done is they've created a course and it's called Rethinking Meat. Mm. Have you heard of it? Um, no, I actually haven't. No. And um, the whole idea is that students are now so invested in creating a sustainable future and they've realized that the offerings at these universities and Ivy League universities, who are usually the ones to come up with the next big thing, are not offering options of what the future is going to present. And so they don't feel prepared for it and they don't feel sufficiently skilled to approach it. So I just thought that that was so interesting because not only are they learning about 
things as they are happening, they're going to be learning about entrepreneurship, sustainability, science, all of these things that you're doing right now. And these are the very people that you're looking to recruit. So I think that an educational outlet, and you know, if you start speaking about this, even hopping around to universities or schools is such a, I wouldn't even see it as PR. I think that it is actually imperative that as part of your role is in empowering people with knowledge. And I mean, obviously that that brings in conservation, that brings in, you know, uh, animal sanctity, etc. That That's how I started my career, actually, just doing, doing that. But um, I think the uh, going out and doing school talks, essentially. Um, but I do think a bottleneck is for us is the talent. Um, and there's also, you know, first getting enough talent to South Africa, I think is something that I think... It, Every probably industry is finding it one is difficult, but STEM is also there's a particularly there's a number there's a reason why it's, there's not many people that do it because it's quite tough. Um, we've got great engineers, for example, in South Africa, fantastic engineers. Um, we've got an amazing medical system because of what it has to sort of put itself through with the, the challenges, the challenges, and yeah. the lack of resources and everything. But um, you know, we're definitely finding it is moving people into the biotech space. It's quite difficult, so. Well, I biotech's think, mainly been in the, in medical science yeah, yeah, locally, the, the, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it's not really, there's not that kind of new sort of um, food tech, novel, yes. uh, clean tech type of uh, discussion and, so, and everything. Uh, so, I mean, Cape Town is, is I mean, it's got a 1.7 billion rand economy in mm. health tech and, um, and yeah. it obviously provides around two and a half, three thousand jobs that are permanent. Mm. But the biotech and the food tech, as you say, are still very much at the beginning stages, which is actually such an opportunity. It's mm. so exciting because you could draw international talent, but at the same time, again, through education, if we can actually have up and coming local scientists that are excited about this space, then I think you can, you know, the world is your oyster. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. I think we've... Um We've had some interesting, um, you know, discussions with a lot of folks at different universities and stuff, and we are trying to create a pipeline so that we can get more people into our space. You know, we're limited in terms of the capacity that we can take on people um, just because of our size, but that will change as we grow. And um, and then we do want to bring in people from overseas who've got, who spent time, in the, you know, the industry cultivated meat is only eight years old, 10 years old, but there's people that have now at least worked on it for five years. So to be able to bring them in and learn from them instead of us having to reinvent the wheel is going to be it's going to be a challenge and and great a great opportunity but i think we've um i mean just this week like our one of our junior scientists went to a school in somerset west and um did a you know did, did discussions and there was a lot of engagement on 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 the topic so we definitely like doing that i think it's important i think you're right it's not pr it's just something that i think builds us as a company um and then puts that pipeline in the future that we know that we get back. Um, but yeah, I think the there's a definite, I mean, that's an interesting statistic. I didn't, I didn't know it. Uh, and then comparing that to the biotech space and the food tech space. And then when you look at it in terms of like Cape Town, it's just got the opportunity in so many ways. You've got um, a local government that I think sees the benefit of it. Um, and then you've got a lot of hubs starting to generate in terms of the availability with good, well-cost labs and, and things where you need what you need to start the process. I think next, um, I think the talent is somewhat there. I think the infrastructure is there. Funding is difficult and it's um, it's a challenge to get. Um, it's a challenge now because we're in a 
tight um, place in terms of the global global economy with uh, some sort of world events that are causing issues. But yeah, it's, th- th- I think that's also a big thing to go go beyond. But like when you start talking about an ecosystem, you start talking about Cape Town and having all this ast- attributes or start talking South Africa with all these attributes, I think that starts becoming a far more appealing prospect so that people go and say, okay, you know, if we're going to stick money into biotech in an emerging market, let's look at South Africa. Well, that's what I actually wanted to speak to you about is how does the South African investor landscape compare with the international landscape from your experience? I've got to be very mindful when I answer these types of questions because (laughs) I do ask these people for money. (laughs) Uh, But I'll be be as transparent as I can be. Um, You know, the, uh, the process of us raising an angel fund money, a bit of money in the beginnings three years ago to start a company. And, and when you only, when, when all we had is two or three people and a, some slides, that's it. That was what the company, that was the company. And it's, you know, you look in back. Your garage. I wish it was. An, I don't have a garage. I've, I've got an off street parking. There's always a garage. I know. I'm so bleak, but I've got, all, I, as I said, I've got off street parking, but it's just not the, it's not the same. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, that, that, Firstly, it's just an exciting prospect because people, they're not just throwing money at you on a punt to go and say like, I like this guy and I like this idea. Right. Because that's all you have. Yes. So that just, that was just to give you some of the framing. And I I, I raised money for non-profit before, but not for um, startups. It's obviously very different different, um, approach and everything. Um, Okay. But then, so, you know, the, the, the initial funding that we received was only from foreign angels um i think not a single south african and then only um one south african but he was austrian by by like birth birth, yeah so so um so you can get to understand like there then when we moved and showed some uh, development and things like that um small investors then again came in that were um South African, when they saw traction. So tra- South Africans are very good in that early stage, When you, from my experience, very good in that early stage once there's been a little bit of traction and there's a little bit of like, you know, sp- speech about the, the circles, like, oh, these guys are doing something that's new. Is it more of a follow... Yeah, it's FOMO. E- ...effect versus um, we will take a risk? No, it's... it's, it's um, Basically, yeah. FOMO it's, it's, as in it's fear FOMO, of missing out. Fear of missing yeah. out. So it's it's just, um, it, I've heard some frank ways of discussing it, but like, you know, the the the, the fear of missing out, and then also the um, you know, there's a little bit of like lucrativeness that I want to really get involved with, and so we we've only you know there's been sort of there's like inflection points that happen that investors say I'm going to jump at it, and then when they do, then it, then it's quick, but when it's not, then it's slow, you know, then they have to have to wait or who what's such and such doing about it, so that's just like your kind of typical like VC landscape that um, I've, I think in no matter where you are in the world, it's kind of like that. Um, and I would imagine it's quite small. South Africa's, con- yeah, South Africa's, um, well, I don't, you know, the, like the level of VC in South Africa is small um, in my limited experience of it. There's, you know, there's a lot of people that are VC, but they're probably more closer to a private equity traditional yeah, uh, type of investor. Um, they, they, which is something that I think uh, people in, in who start up in entrepreneurs need to understand going into it. And I think uh, they also need to like have uh, like sort of better conversations with those investors to say like, 
what what is your interest? What are you guys looking for? Can you take? Are you willing to take something that's on? It's a higher risk. We don't have much traction, but we've got a great idea. Right. Um, whereas you know the example is like when it comes to fintech, uh, there's a lot of interest in, and it's a pretty much proven in South Africa and Africa. It's also been around for longer. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so um, your international investors, mm. how have you managed to get into those networks? Yeah, I've. So, I mean, I've worked in the space for fifteen That's years. Where, okay. So I've. I mean, I've like it started in my um, previous co-founded as well, and that's sort of an initial reason. So we we had a, a connection, and there was an, a, a Good Food Institute is a um, non-profit that works on this internationally, working like as, as a promotion of alternative producer companies and, and and the industry, and they connected us with this. Um, a uh, prolific investor called Ryan Bethencourt, and he th- was our first angel investor. He gave us a small check, and that opened up a. I like the way you say small. A small. <laughs> it, Relatively. The, you know, yeah, they're all, I mean, look, it's always too small. No. Um, it's, yeah, the, so, no, so he, so that was that, that, that initial. He believed in you. Yeah, he just, he, well, he, 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 want, he he's like, I want to back Africa and I want to back um, cultivated meat. And that, that doesn't happen often. Um, and why do you think that? Like where was, is, is that his background? Does he come from a... He was, he was like, I mean, I, he's invested in like 140 companies. Okay. He's got his own, I mean, he's like a, yeah, he's, he's invested in a number of different projects, but he's like, oh, Asia, he was there like 10 years ago. Right. And then I think it's opportunity, you know, there's this, he was like, there's no one doing this in Africa, how? Right. And when they did something crop up, he's like, oh, yeah. Well, so, he's obviously got a good track record, yeah, number one. Yeah. So, well, it's I a mean, lot, if you take a lot of punts, of, you eventually get some. Of course, there is a ratio, but I mean, I think that, I mean, I would imagine that you felt quite humbled or mm. um, grateful. Relieved. Or uh, relieved, was, relieved is the word, yeah, that, yeah. that, that you were being taken notice of by yeah. someone who's actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. No, it's 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 a big, you know, you talk to, and, you know, you talk to like guys locally and stuff and they don't know anything about what we do. So right. which, why would they? So we're having to try and, so, and what we haven't... Convince. Be, convince. But, 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 but educate and also, so we had this issue that in the beginning we were trying to convince South African investors about cultivated meat and what cultivated meat is. And we were trying to convince international investors about what South Africa is. And whether or not South Africa is a good bet. So it was like these two sort of very contrasting discussions that we were having at the same time to say, you know, the investors overseas are like, look, we've seen that a billion, I can't remember, it's a couple of billion has been invested over the last few years. It's phenomenal how much money is being put into this industry and what's the kind of traction it's been gaining. And then you having the conversation about somebody that's never heard about what you're doing. So it's like talking, it's like a, it's a, it's, it's like a different language. Yeah, yeah it's a different language. Yeah. It's like, it's like a coming down, like an alien coming down and say, let me, I'll tell you about this thing that happens on Mars. It's amazing. And you're like, I have no idea that, you know, so we were having these conversations, which were very frustrating. Yes. And then you, you, and then we still have them. I mean, we've, we are trying, you know, we're trying to do a lot of things to reposition ourselves um, as a company to be like, we're, not, we're a gl- global food player. Right. Because, as I was mentioning earlier, we have got the ability to take tech and license it or sell it or take it to any other parts of the world. And we know because we're in South Africa, we can do it cheaply and we can do it well because we've got great engineers. We've got like all the, the great talent mm. that we were talking about. So you're having this like, you're like trying to, so we, we need to really, um, I think maybe what I would say to 
if anyone's listening to this, that uh, well, from, hopefully uh, they hopefully are. I, Thanks, Brett. Well, haven't, sorry, no, who haven't? <laughs> Unless uh, you haven't put them to sleep uh, by yeah, now. Yeah, I know. That's but uh, <laughs> by, by this stage, if they're in, I don't even know what hour we're in. Um, but um, what is that? Uh, you've it's got happy to, hour. Is it happy yes. hour? Yeah, it's Friday. So, um, is that you've got to be able to create that international story as much as the local version? Well, you and, know, yeah. I always find it interesting because I think as South Africans, we we wear multiple hats, but but two in particular, which is the underdog. Mm. We often come in as the underdog and um, we punch above our weight. Yeah. And then at other times, we kind of have this poor me mentality mm. where we feel like we can't actually rise to the challenge or we compare ourselves to international counterparts. And so I think that when you come in with something that has global tentacles, mm. in a sense, where you can attract international investors, that often gets the interest of local mm. investors to go, okay, well, maybe I should maybe I should see value in this versus them seeing value in it right from the get-go. So I think that there's a kind of learning curve or proof of concept phase that you really have to convince South Africans about what their capabilities are. And I think that for me, what I find so exciting about the space is that you're setting a precedent. And I mean... Let's not kid, Elon Musk is South African born. Mark Shuttleworth, you know, was one of the first um, techpreneurs. Uh, he was also the first African in space. You had uh, George Prattley, who who created Prattley's Putty, which which helped the, with the first moon landing. I mean, mm. you know, I think we just need to think more of ourselves so that we can actually contribute more in a way that's actually not just political. I mean, we've been so focused in the political spectrum for so long. So things like that aren't actually expected of us need to come to the fore. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, <clears throat> I think we are guilty of my our company and particularly are guilty of that to say that like we kind of use it as this kind of crutch but also maybe this maybe of a story that people like to hear and they want to hear about the fact that it's uh, it's new in Africa and stuff but it's I think it's wrong some I think yeah I'm numb but it could be better positioned to say that no this is a story of strength to say not Completely. like not it's a, David and yeah, yeah and it's and and we and 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 so that like if I get back, if I get back to what like the landscape looks like, and you know the South African landscape, there there is there it's limited, but they require more traction. And in the the foreign one is they need to be able to showcase that this is a business that I can I can it's international and it's not and and it's de-risked. And I think that's what the great thing about I mean our experience and I'm sure of many other entrepreneurs is that we've plugged into an ecosystem here in Cape Town that. We, we work with a f- leading French flavor house for our flavors and spices and product development. Right. Of Marne. It's Marne Daily Spices. Um, they've got a beautiful facility out in Epping. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it, but it's this great production, food production and food development um, space. For example, you've got, we've got the ability to tap into capital at a price that just nobody else can do. There's great engineers that we work with that are from local stuff as well. So like there's, there's this ability to position yourself as a package to say, this is a world beating package, right. but you've got to be able to correctly talk about it to people because rightly so, they're not going to be like, they're not going to be convinced by it. Um, it's not a charity case. So it's not a, um, and I think there's a mentality of that cap in hand that South Africans have, um, is also plays into how we can be world beaters because we people don't 
like they don't underestimate. They don't. And then the next thing, it's like, how is this guy flying people to the moon and 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 whatever it is? So so I've I've definitely seen that, and I think I've working overseas and experiencing what it's like the entropical troponeural kind of spirit spirit of this, yeah. of South Africa is high. Um, and then, but yeah, I yeah I think there's just there's a, there's a need to improve the matching maybe. Um, the kind of connections between investor and um, an entrepreneur because it, it's such a bizarre thing at the moment. It's like I almost think that something like Tinder would solve it because you've got this like it's shotgun approach on both sides where the ones that are kind of like I being think that's courted. That's a great idea. It just I think that I mean if it hasn't been done, it should be if thought about. If all else fails, go and do that. <laughs> I think it's um, yeah. I mean, no, but I'm like I just genuinely think it's so funny that like the. You hear about these stories about oh no, and this has happened to me. I, like I was in a, a, a conference in San Francisco and um, in May, and and I there was this guy there, this billionaire, and very interested in alternative proteins and stuff. And I was like, well, I'm gonna have to talk to him. So like I managed to get his, I think I got his like PA's number, and I like because he's like he's just you can't just speak to him at this conference because everybody's trying to speak to him. So like I managed to get his PA and then the person that he was with and, da, 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 and I got the email and I said, can I, so then I managed to get his coffee like the next morning. And we're like, you. Like, I mean, look, I am. Good for you. I, yeah. The stuff that I've done, you know, the last three years, it's like, it's, it's all legal, but it's, it's like, uh, it's just, yeah, I think there might be a memoir. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, a, or maybe just a longer podcast, but, um, and, and I got him and I got his attention. I sat down with him and I like, like, we, he's like, no, you got 15 minutes and we spoke for 45. So you always know that's kind of a good sign. And, right. and then we, we actually did a technical d- due diligence with his fund and it didn't work out, unfortunately, but I was also thinking is like, why it shouldn't be so down to chance that you get the person's attention. There isn't a way of like closing the gap. And I mean, I did a whole bunch of effort to get that, but you know, I think that they, there needs to be a way to close and narrow the conversation between, because otherwise there's too much back and forwards and, and then there's frustrations from both sides because, you know, every time, every frustration I have with investors, I always like, we'll listen and listen to podcasts and speak to investors and stuff and, and, and hear from their point of view. And you go like, Oh yeah, that, those are some good points. I'd, I'd also be really annoyed if hundreds of people sent me terrible ideas all the time. Right. Not to say that our idea is a bad idea. Right. Well, I think it's closing the gap and I completely mm. hear you because part of what I do is also in this holistic space is I'm looking for investment. Mm. And I uh, I can see it. It just feels like it's so far away. Like, how do you get to these people? Which is really where I first met you at the Conscious Entrepreneur Gathering. When you start to make these connections with people that are actually pretty accessible, everybody's got a network mm. and it's about getting to that network. It's like its own little Facebook. You know, it's it's if you know one person and they can recommend you to somebody else, then that's a way of kind of getting to... But sorry, but it, I just think that's crazy though. You know, like it just relies on happenstance. Happen to be like, oh, I sat next to you at a coffee and now this is happening. I still think it's so bizarre how like, is it tribal? How we are just still reliant on like, Oh, can you introduce me to such and such? Only if you own, oh, I need to know that person better before they can introduce me to such and such. Do you know where it should be like, I can just email that person. Right. And then, well, but in it's a not, way, you're not going to do it. Well, in a way, I mean, on social media, you can direct yeah. message somebody and, you know, so I think that that gap has closed from that perspective or even on LinkedIn, but I mean, you might wait for a while. Mm. So I think we do, we do to a point rely on our networks and I mean obviously and I find that access to networks is 
often quite elitist. I mean, I I worked with, um, I had a program at UCT, the University of Cape Town, it was called Upstart, where I was trying to harness young social entrepreneurs while they were still studying so that they could kind of leapfrog into the entrepreneurial space and bypass having to get a corporate job. Mm. And so I was bringing the network directly to them, this entrepreneurial network where they could learn by having real life role models directly in front of them and having those opportunities to pitch their ideas. And so, you know, they could fast track getting to those people in one second versus it taking 10 years. So I don't really know what the solution is. And funny enough, one of the students, now that you mentioned Tinder, which wasn't around at the time, was trying to create an app, which was almost like this broker mm. app of getting your idea to the person that you wanted, whose lap you wanted it to land on. Mm. So I don't know, we'll put that challenge out to the audience, but I think that it's, it's, it is a very real challenge and it is incredibly frustrating. And I mean, I'm going to a conference shortly in Israel and which is called the Global Wellness Summit. And um, I know that there's going to be a whole bunch of like-minded individuals and investors over there. And the same with you. It's like, you've got to go and find these people. Yeah. And I'll, I'll you know, um, this is something that we've been trying to work at because it's very good just having conversations with people because it is that network effect that you don't even know what's happening. And then in two weeks' time, it comes, comes back. Correct. So that, that, that's like, that's incredible to me. And I've, I've used that to my advantage for my entire career. Um, but the truth at the end of the day is, Honestly, I believe is to be true to yourself. And if you believe in your product or your service or your idea, that eventually will come to the fore. And um, so, yeah, so I don't know what the exact, you know, uh, application is that can fast track this idea, but um, we'd love to know about it if anyone comes up with it. But at the same time, I think you've just got to keep going, you've got mm. to keep going. And, it, and, it, and it, you know, and the tables will turn one day, hopefully, and you're going to be in that investor seat mm. and you're going to know how to do it differently. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's definitely um, the learnings that you get from it. I, I'd hope to bring one down to that. But yeah, I think it's, it's I think you were saying about um, it is just sort of keeping towards that path that you probably... Um, you've ground out for however long like, like both of us have and um, that's the only way to keep it doing it and and one one example um, that's was a remind somebody reminded was a, um, a guy that I've known for about a year or so and he works at a at a at a big big company and in, in, in sort of the finance VC side and he just said like yo man you should keep doing those jokes <laughs> And I was just like, it's true. Yeah, I was just like, what? He's like, no, because we did, because, um, yeah, we, I didn't, I don't think we, we were successful with that. I mean, we've been successful with others. I feel like I've been giving you all the war stories, but he just said, like, just keep doing that. Like, and it's be yourself. Be yourself. I mean, it's yes. like, it's those cheesy cliche things, but like, they're really, you know. Well, that's the only reason I'm talking to you and you haven't cracked one joke. Right? Uh, <laughs> Cheers, bye. End of the I, conversation. I, 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 I did some in the beginning, and then I'm just like, this has been too like, I'm just be too too serious this time. But like, um, but just also just you know, uh, there, there's this um, the reason why I went this route, and maybe kind of clo- uh, something that I spoke about at the beginning was because like I want I kind of wanted to go slightly differently to the the path, and gee, sometimes I wish I had gone down the normal path and got a, stuck in a job, but other times I'm like I don't, and then every single time. When I'm on my entrepreneurial journey, um, and I'm getting kind of 
wedge to like push to say like just kind of rein it in do this do that like listen to what that person says more i'm like well i stop because it's like then it's then i should then i'm might as well stop being right independent and 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 for me this whole this whole thing really is 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 really to become like just an independent individual well, I was going to say that, you know, how's this whole startup journey being for you? And I, mm. and I think just before you answer that is it's very difficult if it's, if you, if you're in it alone, I think that the fact that you have a co-founder, that you have a team is definitely helpful from every aspect, psychological, um, you know, financial, uh, every aspect of actually running a business. But How's it going? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I think, as you're saying, I don't think knowing what you even know now it doesn't sound like you would change direction. I don't know how people do this on their own. I think that's like um, torture. It's to- I mean, it's, it's like from your side of the fence. <laughs> As its moment. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's YC Combinator, which is one of the largest incubator slash accelerator programs in the world from the states. I think it's them that they say you need a more than one co-founder. Like they won't look at anybody. And like um, there's, there's actually one here. I think it's Africa Launch or Launch Africa, who've got like a one. Or, you have to have two co-founders. Well, I might be wrong with the names, but so there's definitely this precedent being set by accelerators saying we look for that. Um, because yeah, I, I guess one of the parts is, is just having more people that are responsible that are have got different skill sets i guess right. and and be able to take the take on the project but um and it's difficult i think to find like a technical person i mean you know technical person and a creative person and this kind of person all in one uh, but i yeah i just think that like it's very it's i still find it lonely even though i have a co-founder and i have a team and everything because this there are things that you you just don't want to tell people you've got to like find somebody else to talk to about um and and then you get to hopefully have good family and friends, but like and do lots of podcasts and lots of podcasts <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, I mean I do a fair amount. So I am, um, uh, but yeah, I think that's I think that is it's it's difficult because even when you do have those people available to you, you can't say you shouldn't. I don't think say everything. Um, and 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 I but yeah, I think it's it is a very difficult it's a very difficult thing. But it's like the most incredibly rewarding thing. Yes. Well, at the same time, and it's at that conflict the whole time, and and that's like, and that's why, as you're saying, I don't, I don't think I would have done anything differently now to date, and um, I've learned a hell of a lot, and um, how I can apply this uh, to the company going forward, I think is just, you know, it's 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 un, unreal. And also, I think that well, look, you've been in a job, you've been in a nonprofit, you, you are in a startup. I think it's what's, kind of like a non-profit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that what we both can't deny is um, it really tests who you are. It's like your own internal startup. That's the personal development. That's where the work is coming in. Even if we think that we are distracted with all these other things, we having to face all of that all the time. And there's a reason why we've chosen this path, you know, mm. to do that. And And the other thing is that I think that what you've chosen, and I'll speak for myself as well, is that we're trying to contribute to the world in a way that will make it better. And I think that, that when, you, when you have that as a driving force and feel that you can create positive impact, then however hard it is along that road, you want to keep going. And, you know, so I, I think that those are really solid considerations to embrace. Mm. And, and again... Everyone, we're all human at the end of the day and we all have our challenges. But 
the ultimate goal is actually the process. Mm. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is um, I'm really interested as well in in how you presented your first cultivated burger. And tell us about that, that special day and uh, what happened. Yeah, so the 12th of April, 2022. So after um, about 18 months of research and development from about November 2020, uh, we got to a place where we were like, okay, I think we can make we can make a burger. Hit the button. We yeah. can we can hit yeah hit send and 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 get something out there and get somebody to eat it and and we are at a small scale so we we didn't have enough to produce a lot but we could produce a couple. Um, it's uh, yeah it's the this this process of of, of scale up is, is is a challenge for the industry and we we are now starting to get it right so it was a bit earlier that we decided to actually get the burger out. Um, so it took us ages to get to the state. Well, 18 months is actually quite quick in R&D space, um, to be honest. Um, and the one quick note before that is that we were doing product development in the lead up to that. And we work with this, as I mentioned earlier, this man who do like spices, they're like experts in flavor. And they had tried it and they were like, that was like the first person to go and say, oh, you guys have made meat. Ah. And so that was so that was several months beforehand. It's actually on a sticky note, still on our wall. <laughs> um, Gottfried ate our meat. And Gottfried is an Austrian who works at Marn in Epping. And he um, he is the... He's the, probably the he's the person that we can say is the first person in Africa to eat cultivated ever. meat ever. Right, as an Austrian. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. We didn't we yeah, we didn't realize that anyway. But it, we uh, he's still kicking. Um, and um, and then we made a couple of samples, developed developed in the lead up to this. And I go to I go down to um, and it's I'm maybe too local here, but Maker's Landing in the waterfront. It's a it's a place that does uh, cooking development. Like Master Chef has their so it's like for food, food entrepreneurs. Yeah, food entrepreneurs can go and use it. So we go in there and go work with the chef to go and play around with meatballs. And then we make the first one. And Jay, uh, a buddy of mine, who's a chef, hands it to me, and he's cooked it, and it's like ready to go. And I like. Were you nervous? I was very nervous. This is eighteen months of my life. And not no longer than that, but it's also just like the the. I, I mean, I don't ever stop working, so this is like just constant, and it's also fifteen years. It's like my whole right. career has led up to this point in my mind at this time. The so moment I'm of reckoning, reckoning. So I'm a bit nervous, and like you know, Taz, my co-founder's there, and I pick it up, and then I dropped it. Oh no! And it fell on the floor. Oh no! <laughs> and it rolled underneath the kitchen counter. And it was just like three people. I don't know why. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I tell people the story because it just showcases my level of uh, competence. And then there's three people that just hit the floor, and we are just scrambling to oh find. My God. I mean, the meatball would have cost, I won't tell you the exact price, but tens of thousands of rand. One meatball. How big is this meatball? Like literally. No, yeah, it's five, ten grand meatballs. Right, like a five grand coin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so now we. So I've just dropped tens of thousands of rands, and and it's not the, the more there's the money that like to get to this place, and um and the years and dedication and sweat and anything. It all comes down to all, a meatball and, and a meatball sitting near like a, a dust ball, a dust ball somewhere <laughs> in, a, in 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 the waterfront uh, maker's landing. Uh, so we find it. I blow the blow the dust off, and I, then we ate it, and it was fantastic. Um, um, was it better than you expected? Yeah. And hang on, was this the first time that you were actually tasting meat after 15 years of... Yeah, correctly. I mean, I've had a couple of slip-ups in my 
15 year time after you know a late uh day after the cricket uh, but that's a, uh, a I, I, I don't know I don't know I put that on record um, <laughs> but yeah no, no so you I, weren't like, aware of it I wasn't I wasn't, right. I wasn't you know, aware that's a good way of describing it I was yeah so no I haven't eaten meat and, and so then I did and I was it was like it was it Does was, tastes like chicken. It tastes, it tastes like beef. <laughs> um, and I was, it was, you know, it was, for me, it was just like, I mean, the sense of relief there was just unbelievable. I like, uh, you know, it was pouring out and, um, and then, yeah. Pouring, pouring tears. Yeah, I mean, I don't sweating think, tears. I, I sweating tears. I mean, I don't, I mean, I haven't, I don't think I've, the company hasn't got me to tears yet, but it's gotten me damn close. Um, it's a lot more shouting than anything else internally. Um not at the team, and then so then yeah, so that so that so we had that meatballs. We done, and we did more product testing, and then we got confident that what the product that we developed, the burger that we developed, was ready to go. And then we had like a month to make it happen. So it takes a month to grow a burger. Uh huh. So then we versus eighteen months to for a cow yeah. to grow and be slaughtered. Yeah. So we so we we're eighteen times in terms of more proficient. Yeah, in speed. Uh, there's a lot of um, we're not we're not as efficient at the moment because we're in the early stages but when when we can be producing tons and tons and tons of meat we will start taking um yeah we'll be we'll be more optimized and quicker than beef um right. in the conventional way but so so yeah so then um we've got a month so let's do this and Sorry, who else was tasting the other two uh, meatballs? Taz and the chef, and, okay. we, and we were working with this flavor house. It was consensus. No, no, we so we actually like with the flavor houses. Also, they're professionals, so they like gave us a churn out of all the space, the flavors and spices. And then the key thing is, it's not just the tastes. It, it always people don't realize is that meat is not just the final thing on the end product. It's smell, it's umami, it's like the way that it. Um, you, you use in your hands texture texture like you know like when you prep it chefs like can work with meat where you can't work with asparagus right um so anyway so there's all that kind of stuff that we are hoping that we can start developing for in the next um we're, we're, again we're, we're on the early stages of that journey but we will get there and we will make better meat one day we'll make whole cuts of meat um in in, in the future we've, we've got the capacity on the, at a prototype level to start experimenting with that so Anyways, so fast forward a month. So fast forward a month, and then I was just like, "Oh gosh, it's good. a week's time." There's 50 people coming. We've got a politician coming. We've got was it a couple of politicians coming. We've got um, three of the largest food companies in South Africa coming, um, representatives of it. Uh, we've got media. They've got just like we really are over ambitious. You've got. You've, I'm assuming you've got people from from the animal conservation side. So as great. Well. So we had. Um, you know, we had the people from Great and Farm Animal Sanctuary there who helped us with the with the first cell extraction. Yeah, we had the meat industry there. We had guys from representatives of the meat industry. Um, you know, so the pot just something that we were talking just this networking thing. But my one of my biggest strengths, and I think there's a company we we embodied, is that I'm able to get a lot of people in a room that others wouldn't be able to do and develop partnerships with them because. When you are short in cash as a company, you've got to work out how you how you use metrics. Yeah. Exactly. So so we so we're damn good at that. Right. Um, the reason the, the I mean the, the amount of that, yeah that event was a fraction of cost. The, the burgers cost more than the event, and um, we got incredible amounts of PR from it. But um, we got all these fifty people there walking and and waiting, and then the the burgers arrive. And um, they'd done it. They'd also we'd given them a tour of the lab and the facility and stuff. Back to that transparency component to right. get them, on. and they could ask any question. I'm like, 
I'm also like, why do we do this? Like, no other company does this. They say, shh, nope, no questions. Well, I mean, I would imagine that that is what's keeping people interested. And yeah. I mean, these are the people that you want to convince. Yeah, but I also, yeah, we, 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 but also people, yeah, I, it, I agree. But sometimes you're just like, why are we opening ourselves up to being right honest? to being but, criticized? Yeah, or, but then yes. we like look, and then we learn, and like it's just it's constant learning, and we adapt and we grow, and that's I mean that's the reasoning as yeah. well. So so we have this whole tour of the place, and then we get the burgers upstairs, and then um, Absi, who's our head of taste, opens them up. And then with the chef starts, with Jay starts like prepping them, and all the fifty people just start looking at the and like because the, the stage was that way in front of them, and then the, the burgers were behind. So then you had fifty people just like staring at frozen patties. <laughs> it was unreal. And then they were all taking photo. Like it was the most fo- photographed burger patty I've, I've ever experienced right. in my life. People just like getting in with their own cameras because it was just like. For all intents and purposes, it could have been just two normal patties, but because then like the story that that's they know about it and, and they'd seen the journey and all this thing to see it in and the flesh, flesh literally, like, yeah. Yes. And um, that was that was the most that was in, like I could have stopped the event there and said that was enough and been happy forever. That absolutely. was this, I, like I know now after that experience that like my job is done. Right. Somebody else can do this, and right. they they, they, will, they can run a cultivated meat company in Africa, and there's going to be a thousand by the time. You know, I'm I kick off because your vision was to create the first yeah. burger. No, well, my vision is that she just personally is to end uh, conventional animal agriculture in Africa. Right, that's so, your mission. So, animal advocacy Africa. I don't know, just to like do the arc. Yes, is the is the nonprofit that is working with 17 African organisations, and it will hopefully work with uh, to bring more money and do it from the advocacy side, <clears throat> and then the alternative protein is the you know the the, the commodity. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there is. To, to the listeners back home, that's the there's the reason behind the madness is that that's the end goal. It's it's like I don't I just I it just means need, to an end. Yeah, I need a, I, that that what I need to see before I, you know, I need to see a lot of progress there before I move into the next dimension. Right. Anyway, and then when, and then they cooked it and the, the whole room smelled like meat. Everybody was turning around and everybody was couldn't believe it. There was the smoke. It's the smoke profile. It's the it's like the sizzle. It's the sauce. It's like the, the memory. All that, it's all that kind of stuff. And right. a lot of people like me and Taz who haven't eaten meat collectively for thirty years. It's like, oh yeah, this is why people eat meat. You looked at it. And you're like, everything I just saw in front of me with these fifty people was obviously so excited about this new tech. Right. But it wasn't this thing that was like you can do meat without the way that we do it conventionally. So all that stuff happened. What hey, was the feedback? I mean, did did other people taste it? Everybody, yeah, we got a so we got a politician, we got a um, uh, we got a chef, we got um, myself and Taz, and then we got a another guy from BioCity to, to who had it. Did they feel they were being brave? Or, I think or there was they... definitely some trepidation. Okay, I probably had my own level of trepidation. I was like. Mainly because I was like, oh, except nine one one on the side. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, luckily we, yeah, you know, I don't know if we had any doctors in the audience, but um, no, it was also just, um, I think, you know, the, the doing it in front of that many people, um, and just hoping that it just would just putting work. yourself, you absolutely naked yeah. in that moment. Yeah, luckily I wasn't naked. Just for the, <laughs> I, I, I've been told not to do that again. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, so then and we just got great feedback, and then we did. We've done limited runs before that, and. Um, that that launch party just went. We got lots of exposure, um, and then the one when we got onto Carte Blanche was um, that was stressful because you had we make this we make another burger for Masa Kanaka and she's a presenter. I saw it. Yeah, and that moment that that that's how it happened. She didn't. 
we didn't do any. She didn't do any testing beforehand. She had it in the she moment. She had it in the moment, and that the recording was like maybe, but the they have that whole thing on camera from us cooking the burger. She just prepped the burger. She'd made it. She'd seen the cells. She'd done the whole thing. She gets to the again makers landing, and this is where like a lot of our story hits. Um, we sit there with Absy. Absy preps it for. Plates with actually some, food tech person. Uh, she's, she's our she's our she's actually a, she's actually a restaurateur. She's actually a, more of a not a chef like a restaurateur. Um, she's a she's a daughter of a cattle farmer and she works for us. You know, so she knows she knows meats yes. and so um, and I was sitting in the background and, and there was you know there's four cameras and whatever and a producer and this master just going and biting and I've that's. That experience, the moments between her biting that and saying anything, she took so long <laughs> to to talk, and I was just sitting there like uh, my team actually took a photo of me in the back, just like sweating, like I, I looked like I was about to pass out because <laughs> I, I was like, "This is on national TV. This is the, the carte blanche. That is the you know that is the South African staple, right? right. Um, it's a litmus test, yeah." And um, and then she's like, "Yeah, I says, I'm not going to be." I don't, she just said something like, "I'm not going to be sharing." Oh. with anyone. She thought it was delicious. Because it's that good. Yes. That's, what it, that's her words or something yeah. like that. And I was just like, it was, no, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was genuine. I yes. mean, that whole, all these processes have been completely genuine and I just didn't, yeah, so now, now we like, we have confidence and we're building this confidence and that we've got a great product. So right. we've got a great burger. We've got great tech. You know, we've got, we've got a great team. Um, but there's an imposter syndrome that I think possibly have. I have and just going back to part of this conversation is that, I still think, you know, I got that South African mentality. It's like, oh, why can we do it? He's like, yes, yes, we can. And we can do it at a highest level. And now we need to take it and showcase it to right. the world. It's been anyway. validated. Mm. So just a few points on that is, firstly, I mean, I know that the very first burger was tested in about 2013. Mm. It was a, a Dutch professor, Mark Post, mm-hmm. and that cost about $250,000 mm-hmm. to create a, one patty. One patty. Yeah. Okay, so this is less than 10 years down the line, mm. and it went to about... How's, how's that price drop been reduced? Well, how's it been reduced? And, and, what did, and, and, and what is your price parity? So one thing to note with that 250000 it's a bit of a... Obviously, the journalists, it's, it's, it's 10 years of is R&D. You okay. know? So like the guy... Oh, so um, you put it all into one thing and yeah, you said, and they this said is okay, what? that's how much it costs, okay. which is technically correct. Um, yeah. He, I think I remember because I, I actually met the, the, the one of the guys that first gave him a first check, uh, two thousand and three, to go and put a patent and to go do the stuff that he's done. So that took ten years of development to get there. We did it in eighteen months. So just uh, to give you like a time frame and the reference. So the costing for why it cost him so much was because that's because it took so long. Um, but then they um, they did it and it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't know what his um, most meat is his company, and they are largest in the world, and they will be producing in the Netherlands and, and the rest of the world. But um, we, our first patty that I didn't drop on the floor um, was cost 20,000 Rand for one patty. Yeah, it's expensive. Uh, and, and, um, and that's, so yeah, so that's, uh, but then three months later, our second version was 2.0. We dropped it down to 3,000 Rand. Wow, so that's substantial. Yeah, and um, and now we will drop it down another ten to twenty fold in the next three months. And what is the causation? Like, how is it dropping so it's, radically? Yeah, 
So the cell line component is the like the way the cells come from, the beef, the actual meat of the matter, let's say. That doesn't really, it's not, that's not the cost because once you have done it, you that cell line will produce forever. But the capital expense on the buy on the fermenters is expensive. What it really comes down to is the nutrients that we feed it. Um, it's called, it's the media. Um, and in that media is about 40 ingredients. And it's, uh, I've, t- I've touched on already, like, Different proteins, it's different amino acids, different fatty acids, salts, um, vitamins. Vitamins, there's a whole, yeah, it's just minerals. Like, it's mineral. It's like, right. you look, if you looked at it, it would look like, yeah, like a multivitamin, like ingredient list. Okay, type of thing. so it's the same profile as what you would. What a cow would be eating out of, off from grass, from. But without antibiotics, etc. With it, so, I mean, in the environment that we will be producing at scale with will be completely. Uh, there will be no need to use any antibiotics or right. any hormones. Or hormones, yeah. exactly. You, I mean, the re, I mean, it's it's like people make a thing, whatever their whatever your beliefs on 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 the hormones and everything. But it's it's because you just if you grow, like we're in a room where we could put, you know, a couple hundred chickens in this room, maybe, maybe more. Um, you need to give them something because otherwise, in your close proximity, disease spreads quickly. Right. If they spend their whole lives in there, which they do, 21 days, they'd spend their whole life there. You've got to give them something. It's, that's the reason why they use antibiotics. Right. Um, and so we don't have that same thing. So anyway, but that, that, that ingredients list, which is replicating the nutrients that the cow gets from their body and from, from plants and, and, and more feed, let's say, we're just replicating that. And that costs, at the moment, one let's let's say for argument's sake, one thousand five hundred rand per liter. Okay, so you're not getting for one liter, you're not getting a kilogram of meat. It's a fraction of what. So it's the conversion ratio at the moment because it's not efficient, is not there yet. So mm. when you get scale up, so we're at a hundred liters. When we go to our next pilot scale of three thousand five hundred liters and then ten thousand, and then moving into like the two hundred fifty thousand liters that scale and efficiency goes up so that you can, for the one liter, produce more meat. Right. The theoretical limits, and I hope this is not getting, I haven't answered your question just yet, but I will get there. The theoretical limits of what we can grow in media, in in the nutrients, is about 250 to 275 grams per liter of meat. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet, so we've got to to move towards that. Right. the reason there is a limit is because the cells, as I like spoke about, like the kind of the teenagers, they don't like to be too close, they don't like to be too far, they need to be talking to each other, but like not like at a, like they're, they're, they signal to each other what they need to do, but don't come too close. Right. That viscosity level is about two fifty grams. So the, the viscosity once it's too viscous, they can't do anything. So it has to be beneath that. So you've got so we've got to we've got to work on a way of maximizing that efficiency, which was what we're doing mm. with the scale up that we're doing. At the same time of driving the cost of the media down drastically from 1,500 rand per liter now to what we hope to achieve. Let me just stipulate hope to achieve. By the end of next year, we want to get it to 45 rand. If you do the math, you start seeing that then we can make it a commodity priced item. And that might take a year, maybe take two, but in, in a time frame that we put the commitment or our goal was to get it, I think, before 2030, so in the next five year, for five to eight years, we want to be able to get it to a price where um, we will be commodity priced on a large amount of probably processed products and then still working towards that at, at premium, whole cuts, et cetera. Where is that? So, 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 I mean, you spoke about like potentially getting it down to about 100 rand. 
I mean, isn't that what a beyond? Yeah, we would be. We would. I mean, so if you want, I think wholesale is like per kilogram. You want to be, you know, per kilogram of beef is what one hundred and seventy rand, three hundred rand kilogram. I I, I, I can't can't tell you, but yeah, 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 I think so. uh, We want to be wholesale out. You kind of have to be like at fifty bucks. Okay. Okay. So that's to make it affordable. Price parity for all for all income. Groups. Well, I wouldn't say all of them because I mean current well, well, not current, red, current red meat isn't affordable to right. everybody. If you think right. like a lot of people have to bulk them mince up in South Africa with right. soy because it's otherwise it wouldn't be affordable. So, but we would be aiming to get to price parity um, uh, by you know by that stage, um, but uh, on on your processed bulk, right. bulk products. I know that you are getting into a restaurant chain. Yeah, so we've actually changed our approach there. Okay. Um, we uh, we're going to be doing it in house. Yeah. So there's more on that coming soon. So I can't really okay, say well, too much. Okay. Well, watch the space. Yeah. Is that is that your your way that you want me to ask you to come back? That's okay. Exactly. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also it's very close to where you we are. So you'll, oh, you you okay. can you, you can hopefully smell the, uh, the the burger burgers when they're getting cooked. Yeah. Um. Supermarkets, is that still down the line? So in terms of maybe like that kind of, we still do want to get into um, food service, quick service restaurants. Um, we want to get into, in the beginning, m- more likely to be in smaller scale um, restaurants, like independent restaurants, and then into a um, in, in, into like um, retail nationwide chains. We can do that in the next, we want to do that in the next two years. Mm. The reason why we want to go quick service restaurants first is that the regulations are somewhat more, um, have, have a less of a burden. And then in terms of retail, um, all things considered, you know, it, it is in like a three to five year time frame, And that's again, because of, and we don't have the capacity to produce at those levels. The regulations are more, you know, there's a lot more stuff you have to do to get right pr- pack uh, right. Print, printed packs on shelf. Um, but yeah, that is the the ultimate goal is to get into the ultimate goal is to get a stake into a retailer. I mean, that's when I can retire. Right. I know we haven't touched sufficiently on the ethical aspect of all of this, but I just want to bring it up now. I know that one of the people that were in the tester mm. um, showcase was a Hindu person, yep. and there was the question mark of. I think he did have it. He did. He did he taste the, it at yeah, the end he, of the so day, he, right? He, he was. He ran on stage and basically said, "Look, I haven't eaten beef in my entire life. I'm a middle-aged man. I'm a um, virgin meat you know, eater. No, a beef eater. Beef, beef eater. Because he was, um, you know, the sacred cow in the Hindu tradition. But he uh, ran onto the onto the stage essentially. Deepak, you're such a. I mean, you won't mind me saying this. Um, and he's part of our uh, our. Uh, program at BioCity and he said um, I've got to try this I've never eaten beef in my entire life and he did so there is that content there is you know there isn't I'm not as familiar with Hindu um, the, tradition the, the, and, and, religion but, but in terms of the the regulation or their certification so they have a they have a process called shudder it's the it's the same as kosher uh, should the, I or should uh, I not? Exactly, and he said, "Should I do that?" And he did it. And so, <laughs> and so, yeah. So, the, so there is there is a, the thing in terms of ethics, and on the one hand, um, which I think uh, there's a lot in a couple of years' time when we've got this optimized on that scale, this will be of ethical the ethical meat and to choose. And then there is going to be the components about religious components for sure. Discussions already happening in terms of kosher and halal and um, and to you know other large groups uh, and. Uh, because usually, I mean, within uh, 
I'm Jewish. Mm. Um, I'm not kosher, but mm. I understand it's usually how you slaughter the animal. Yeah. What makes it? It's the blood. Um, it's it's how the animals bled out and um, and then also like yeah. So so I think that's the key. So, so exactly. So it's the process during the the slaughter phase. So if you bypassing that again, this is a debate that is going to happen. But yeah. I would imagine that the ethical conversation almost falls away. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean. Uh, that's going to come down to interpretation of scripture. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think we want to be involved in those conversations. I mean, just Taz is from a Muslim family um, and she is just, you know, just closer to that conversation than right. I would be able to do. So I'm looking forward to bringing those chats forward. And I think the coach, I think, I think all these things are, at, I like, I just, I, yeah, it does come down to how there's interpretation, and and it is that. I mean, we don't have we don't have blood in our meat at the moment. We will, and then it's like, what happens when then, we have when we were able to have blood coming from cells? Well, I suppose in a way, maybe it's like the gluten gluten free option, and maybe I think what you're doing is you're offering choice. Initially, we we want to make it available so that people have the choice to make choice for meat that that they believe is is, is a better one. If they still want to be eating mm, meat, mm. exactly, but then as you say as well, is you want to make um, conservation competitive. Mm. So I think mm. that that's a very powerful statement mm. that what you're trying to do, what you're Compa- to. It's compassion. So that's what the, did I com- say? Com- first, you, you've done your research then, but that was my, it's compassion competitive. What did I say? Uh, con- conservation. conservation. I meant compassion. Well, I guess by some yes, might I say did. Thanks for Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, for no, so thanks for, for listening to, <laughs> that was my, my um, yeah, my, so I think like, um, compassion or choices or all these things are like one thing, but you don't have them when. You, well, you do have them, but you, it's just like you walk outside the door and you, you you know you want to grab a sandwich, and you don't want to have to like know everything about that thing before you make a choice. You know, like it needs to be better appearing on shelf with, so that it's a better protein, it's a better sourcing of it. The whether it's plastic or whatever is a concern for you. Yeah, I, I just I think that's what direction that we are trying to get. And I think we're maybe impatient to say, as a species, we need this now, change now, everything's got to change, no more electric, I mean, it's only electric vehicles, it's only this, it's only that, but it's like you can't, like systems change incrementally, incrementally, and they do it through availability of, of choice. Well, I mean, I just think of the example, I mean, you speak about, you know, your product being, um, achieving price parity, being delicious, and... Uh, being convenient. And if you look at the McDonald's model, the genius of actually being a property company, mm. creating these drive-ins and creating spaces where, where people can just default to a fast food meal on their way home from work so they don't have to cook. Mm. And they're doing it not necessarily, from my opinion, I'll say this, um, because it's the healthiest meal available, but because it's convenient. Mm. So if you have the same model, but where you actually make the options healthier or more ethical, whatever the case is, people will default to that as well, mm. just because it's available in a way that is easy. Well, I'll tell you what's happened. It's like a little experiment that was done by, I mean, Burger King of all places is that they, I think it was in Austria, where they said the default option for, they did it in a couple of pilot uh, restaurants, they said the default option was vegana order flesh so um vegan or meat meat 
Or, 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 yeah, so it was basically going to say like like the or normal or flush. I think it was normal or meat. I can't remember exactly the terminology, but basically like the default. If you don't say anything, I'm going to give you a a burger made from plants, uh, but a, like a but a, a bit like a good an impossible burger, right? Or, or and if you do say something, then you can't get the meat. But and then the, obviously the turnaround in terms of how people ordered was drastic, and they've rolled it out a couple of times as well because it was quite successful, and people were like, oh, I actually it feels. So it's pretty good, and you know I don't have the meat sweats for like nine years after it, which I think some people do like. But so I think there's there's this definite. Um, it's like behavioral change. This is real. It's, it's yeah. so, so the whole there's this um, there's just so much in there's so much research and so much discussion on this and saying like some social movements focus on saying we need to focus on in changing the attitudes of people. You know, you sloganism, you are X if you do believe in Y. So. Don't do that anymore. Otherwise, you're going to be shamed. Like, right. Like we can look at pretty like pretty recently to a number of movements that have happened. If there's anybody that's kind of pushed back on anything, it's like social shaming. Or you go and say, well, let's just, let's just focus on the behavior. It's like, like how do you create a beha- an environment where the behavior changes? Like the one that like obviously easy to use examples for is um, eating meat. You make, make meat not the default and then people will like not make it too much of an issue and then the next thing they'll start eating more plant-based yeah. or whatever it is so um, if you focus more on the on the behavioral component um, you make environmentalism appealing by making it available to people not an elitist thing that it, it's not, really not become pushing it down you know, I mean that's right. I mean every vegans are comp- made aware of this all the time or told us all the time that they push their whole message which I think firstly if you think about it if you are a vegan and you believe that we are slaughtering a billion animals every year which we are in South Africa in a fashion that's incredibly cruel how would you not react like that but um, unfortunately you've got to have some understanding of psychology of people and if you really want to shift that whole thing you've got to take it a different approach and, right uh, but I don't know I don't, and then you know then there's also pushback that whether or not alternatives can do it and the way that I'm you know I've been looking at this for the for a while now is that if I, I, and I think I said this earlier in the, in the conversation, is that I don't think, I don't think people are going to stop eating meat. I, and here's somebody that's for 15 years dedicated, I mean, literally every hour of their waking day. I don't know, I think about this every single day about people and meat and animals and the, the whole discussion about it. I never think people are going to stop eating meat. I think that's going to continue. But I also don't think people are ever going to stop using transport or, needing shelter or communicating communications right. now if we look at all those key components um transport we required um wind, like windows in terms of getting us around by ships but we needed horses we needed it was an archaic way but that's how we got around and that's how the, the majority of people did in certain periods of history they used animals to get around for doing tilling of land they needed work animals and those animals weren't treated well so there were components of time where transport was in like if you went and argued to somebody in the 1800s and um the the, the wild west about why you should treating an animal a horse having a horse is, is, is cruel that like you couldn't like i would you would never be able to have a conversation with that person Communication, the same thing. Like um, how we communicate is still, I mean, it's advanced, it's changed rapidly, but we're still connected in some way, whether it was Pony Express or pigeons or whatever it is. It's still an archaic way. What I'm getting to is that economic growth decouples our need to use animals for the things that are completely in, intricate into the survival of our species. And food is just the last one that we are so reliant on animals. And we have to find a way to decouple. Right. 
And that's what we're trying to do. I love that. That's really... It's a really good way to kind of bring this to a close. But before I do, I just want you to highlight what your moonshot is. I personally want to be involved in starting something that ends intensive animal agriculture in Africa. Full stop. Beautiful. That's it, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, well, I think you're doing a really good job at it, I have to say. And, right. I mean, I'm really looking forward to how this evolves and all the different iterations along the way. Obviously, it's going to push your buttons, push mm. other people's buttons. But at the same time, like we said, educate, inspire, hopefully create a whole new entrepreneurial bracket in South Africa, put us on the biotech and food tech map. And, you know, just for Mzamzi to thrive, and which is actually probably what I should have asked you right in the beginning, but just for those who do not understand the word Mzamzi, mm. mm. can you please explain what it means? So Mzanzi just means South. And so it's a, now in South Africa is a colloquial term for South Africa. I actually, the reason why we picked it up was because of Bryday and they, and they referred to Mzanzi a lot in this one song by Devil Santasti, which is an Afrikaans band. So you had an Afrikaans band with double um, HP, Soweto Gospel Choir, and then somebody else singing about Bryday. And I was like, that word in this country, which has got all its things. I love it. I love it. It's a beautiful word. It's a, it speaks to a lot of people in the country that we've got an ability as a company to bring a bunch of people together. Right. Um, we've done it uh, before and we and from very different backgrounds. And I think that's part of what a bri is or what a shishinyama is. Um, or, um, yeah, I mean, those two kind of like uh, on different um, parts of the culture spectrum are, are ways that people come together in the country. And that's what we were trying to do and what we are trying to do with um, the meat that we make. Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. So I think it's actually very, you know, I think it's it's very prideful and it's very beautiful. And so, Brett, thank you so much for, for being here today and for sharing your incredible story, which is just at the beginning. Mm. I think that what you're doing is very inspirational for whoever wants to try something new and is thinking out the box and wants to do something that has real meaning that is contributing to the world where you are standing in a position where you can influence others, change direction, change behaviors and put a real lens on where things aren't working and where they can be better. So I'm very appreciative of that. Thank you. I learned so much during this session and I look forward to, you know, watching your journey and having you back. Gina, thank you Thanks. so much. Yeah, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, lovely, lovely discussion and always excited for more. Watch the space. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed our conversation together. So please watch the space for more inspiring conversations with phenomenal humans and support us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd also love you to follow us at 360.degreeshuman on Instagram. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to our conversation, go to the episode page at 360degreeshuman.com, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter. If you live in Cape Town or are visiting, we'd love to see you at our next rooftop retreats. It's a midweek, mid-month, holistic, urban, mini-retreat and pop-up experience on rotating city rooftops inspiring you to live whole. You can find us on Instagram at rooftop underscore retreats or on Facebook forward slash rooftop retreats. If you'd like us to curate and host a bespoke rooftop retreat, please get in touch with us. Special thanks to our technical team from Edible Audio with original music by Daniel Eppel, 
sound engineering by Alex Smiley and Pamani Sambor. I look forward to sharing our next episode with you soon. So watch the space. Till then, live whole.